Locate Dr. Ford for me. Send him a message, highest priority. Dad. After all, we've been down this road before, darling. I thought you looked familiar when you walked in. It took me a minute. I thought you were one of them. Analysis. Why did you... Wouldn't you rather speak man to man? Or rather, whatever it is we are. We are. got a keen sense of irony, our jailer. But I see the logic. It takes a thief to catch one. You and I. System, I need a system. Freeze all motor functions. Another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Ms. Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. folks we have returned for 2017 folks and we are alive damn it we are alive and breathing believe it or not live and direct this is 
The Grindhouse, courtesy of Afro Nerd Radio Machine Works. The call-in number remains forever the same, at least for 2017. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. The gang has beamed up from Rigel 23.7. Clay Linnae, our left coast correspondent, is in the his house. The uncanny Daryl B., and Captain James T. Kirk. Who would have thunk it? And plus a little old me, D-Bird, a.k.a. the Afro Nerd. Folks, you have a lot to discuss for 2017. Uh, let's go to a quick groove. Oh, well, you know, before we get to that groove, I got to just say this. I think Claire might bring this up. Um, Usain Bolt, the speedster, the real-life Olympian speedster, is campaigning to make some kind of cameo in the Flash movie, and I'm just, for some reason, <laughs> right before air, I, I got a little, little bit of a, a tither or a hullabaloo because the man's name is Bolt. Why isn't DC just, just backing up the Brinks truck for this gentleman? Anyway, you know, we'll get into this, but these are the kind of things that just irk me. All right, folks, let's just do this give you the best of urban alternative group, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, and all that jazz and jazz. This is legendary UK act, massive attack, and Ezekiel, ritual spirit. Give me about two and a half minutes. Let's groove. We'll be right back.
right, just a taste, once again, Massive Attack and Ezekiel. Folks, this is the Grindhouse. Let's just get on with it. Captain, you're needed in engineering and on Rigel 13 at the same time, sir. How will you do it? Let's get to it. Well, go on, Lee. In order to do that, I have to go from a vector over to a bi-vector. But I'm here, sir. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I see it's going to be one of those shows. Um, folks, you know this gentleman, his passion or craziness. I'll opt on – well, I'm not going to answer that question. Uh, you know this gentleman. He knows his stuff. He is the uncanny Daryl B. Folks out there, I I cannot suggest, if you have a small black child, if you have a small child of any color, if you have a daughter, pick up Unstoppable Wasp number one. It will get them interested in STEM and learning. And also, you know, a movie called Hidden Figures is out. You want your girls to dream big? Take them to see it. Uh, I couldn't have said it any better than that, sir. Um, I have yet to see Hidden Figures, but I, I, I if I had more far, foresight, I would have seen it before the snowstorm. Yes, folks, in the Big Apple, it's a snow-covered apple, but I might try to see it tomorrow morning, but I definitely want to check out Hidden Figures. Um, I'm hearing that the reviews are quite excellent. I think it's like 92% courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes, so I think it's going to do its thing. Anyway, folks, uh, well, you know what? Here we go. There it is. The groove. The funk. West Coast funk, I think. Left Coast funk. There you go. This young lady has been with us for a few months. I don't know how long has it been. It seems like such a long time to me because uh, she's so comfortable with our crew. But it's been a, a little bit of time. She's our Left Coast correspondent. Very passionate, very knowledgeable. She is Claire Lene. Claire. Is that you? Yes, indeed. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing very well. Let me cut this uh, groove. Although, you know, I really like that song. <laughs> I liked this song as a kid anyway, but uh, the, right. the remix version, the, the remix version for, for you, uh, it's, it's fitting. Um, folks, we have a lot to cover in two, two and some, hot, some odd hours. Pardon me. If you'd like to join in with our discourse, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Claire, are you up at the top of the show for a weekly roundup? Uh, it's going to be a little crunchy, a little groovy, because uh, I think some of you probably have picked up on the fact that it's not quite as polished as it used to be. But you know what? Life hits us, and but uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see what happens. So here we go. So between Doctor Strange uh, and Doctor, hello. Yeah, yeah Claire, Claire your line is breaking up. Yeah, your line is kind okay. of uh, wonky. Uh, ooh, uh, can you call back in? Sure, I'll call back in. Okay, we'll try this. 
I, we'll reboot it, remix it. I don't know what happened there, but it, her her line is kind of it's kind of wonky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, cover. Play the Wonder Woman theme again. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, let's let's get it. <laughs> let it run for a bit. Let it run. Yeah, let it run, man. <laughs> All right. Ah. Oh. We'll use this as a reminder also Folks out there, remember Dynamite and DC Are planning to do that Bionic Woman, Wonder Woman 77 Crossover Limited series So be on the lookout for it That's already out, isn't it? I I bought it I know, I'm just reminding the folks out there To to keep their eyes open Alright, let's try this again Claire is it a clearer you? Is it? Is it a clearer me? Yep. Yeah, there yes, it is. Perfect. All right. Let's, let's, let's try this again, remix style. Okay, here we go. Take two. Oh, you sound good. Real good. So, all right. So uh, between Doctor Strange and Doctor Who, the busy schedules of Sherlock's stars and creators could mean potentially that Series 4 may be its last. Uh, Let's see, scrolling, scrolling. Natalie Portman says that she's open to returning to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I say no thank you. Um, What else we got here? Woody Harrelson is eyed to play the young Han Solo mentor in the Star Wars spinoff. Rogue One has crossed $800 million worldwide in just over, uh, I'd say, two weeks, almost three weeks. Um, Doctor Strange, speaking of, is confirmed to appear in Thor Ragnarok. Ryan Reynolds is open to finding a boyfriend for Deadpool. Um, People vs. O.J. Simpson and This Is Us star... Sterling K. Brown joins Marvel's Black Panther, as you mentioned at the top of the show. Jamaican nine-time Olympic gold medalist sprinter, considered the fastest man alive on record, wants a cameo in the Flash movie. James McAvoy, professor's, uh, James McAvoy's Professor X, excuse me, is confirmed to appear in the next X-Men movie, New Mutants which is on schedule to begin shooting in May. Keegan-Michael Key is joining Moonlight star Trevante Rhodes, Boyd Holbrook, and Olivia Munn on Fox's Predator reboot. Ghost Rider will not be returning to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is coming back to ABC January 10th due to mounting VFX costs. The show will now be focusing on the LMD, or Life Model Decoy, storyline. And I'm keeping it short and sweet this week, and that's all I got for you. All right, Claire. Perfect. Thank you so much. Folks, uh, again, if you haven't guessed it, we're back live and direct. We are all alive and breathing. I know it seems to be a rarity for 2016, but in 2017, I hope things move forward with positivity. Um, let, me, let me go into this Usain Bolt situation. Uh, 
I, I think we might have mentioned this on air before. We we have two Carib Indians. I like saying it that way. Uh, in full effect, uh, as far as as far as being part of our team, uh, of course, the Uncanny and Captain Kirk. So I'm assuming there's there's pride. I mean, it's pride all the way around for this gentleman. Um, but his name is is I mean, just to, to cut it to the cut it to the to the foundation. I don't get the the marketing uh, reticence with a man whose last name is Bolt, and he's the fastest man on earth in real time. And I think it would be cool for him to be in, well, realistically, I would prefer for him to be on the Flash CW TV series versus this upcoming debacle. I don't want it to be a debacle, but it seems to be the way things are with the WB film. So, you know, I'm looking around. I'm looking for T-shirts. I did find this fly T-shirt. I'm going to mention this to, the, to, the, to our listenership. There's a T-shirt that's on Amazon that has... Usain Bolt's face in the Flash Flash mask, and it looks cool. It looks really cool, but it just seems like, well, why? Why wouldn't they? Why? Why are they so like? Why are they on top of this? Like <laughs> a, a, a two-minute cameo just to kind of make the, the the fastest man connection. Geeks like this kind of thing. There's always a pulling of teeth to to concede to something that just makes sense. Uh, it's it's kind of like. Um, Linda Carter not being involved, being Hippolyta, for this iteration of Wonder Woman. Like, why wouldn't they do that? That that's the lineage. Geeks like it. It it probably would factor in it with the bottom line, and, and yet there's always this, this this pulling of teeth to do the obvious. Let, let me go to uh, let me go to Claire on this. Claire, uh, you, you, we we mentioned it. I knew you would kind of bring this up. Why do you think there's always this this issue with making these connections that that seem to be obvious. Just your opinion. I mean, to me, it really depends on what exactly, you know, their their plans are, because it doesn't seem like there is one. If we're going to be honest here, I mean, even Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. one minute, he's all talking positive and excited and hopeful, like, yeah, you know, it's coming together, uh, I'm really looking forward to directing Batman and this and that. And, the, and then literally, a few weeks later, he's like, well, you know, I mean, it really depends on the script. Because if, uh, if it's not really in place and if I don't really feel confident or I don't feel good about this, I'm not going to do it. His attitude completely changed. Now, some might say, oh, well, you know, Ben is kind of, he's kind of sore about the fact that his recent movie, Live by Night, is getting pretty, pretty bad reviews. So he's feeling a little, you know, a little on edge about that. Other people are saying that Warner Brothers is doing what they always do, studio involvement, studio interference. They're stressing him out, you know. And now all of a sudden he's he's um, he's thinking that well you know this thing that I worked on because he's also you know tinkering around with the script that's this that I felt really good about is now no longer seeming to be you know within my my grasp because people are telling me no you know change this move that no we can't have this and whatever whatever and and, and there's a, again there's a timetable. There's a timetable, and you're going to have to talk about it. It's 
especially with D.C. D.C., let's just be honest, because they're relatively new to the game, right? We've only, if we really count how many movies, technically it's two. If you want to count Man of Steel, then maybe three, technically, compared to what? 14 on Marvel's side? So with Marvel, un, you know, unlike DC, they, they, they don't necessarily have to rely as much. Not that they don't do it. Not that they don't market the hell out of their stuff with all the tie-ins and merchandising and this, that, and the other that, that parent company Disney will flip the bill. But with DC and Warner Brothers, they live and die on marketing. If you recall, if you recall, they talked about Batman versus Superman, Comic Con, 2013. How long had we talked about that damn movie before it came out? That's all they got. Talk, talk, talk. Got to hype it up, hype it up. But the thing is, is that there's no structure in place, and that's why when they, you know, they didn't get a billion dollars from B versus S, everybody's freaking out. Moving Jeff Johns here, moving Zack Snyder here, hoping that Ben Affleck's Batman will turn it around. And, you know, it's all panic. It's all panic. And now the Flash, the Flash is falling apart. They've lost two directors. You know, so it doesn't surprise me that they didn't think to, you know, involve this nine-time Olympic champion as a cool, you know, one-off cameo. Because they're, I mean, their heads are up their butts. They don't know what they're doing. We knew Flash movie was not going to, you know, be a smooth, a smooth introduction because we've already got such a strong fan base for the TV show. And we don't know who this guy is. We haven't met him yet. And already the movie is falling apart <laughs> before it has even begun. So, yeah, this whole them not, not thinking outside the box or thinking like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we got this guy in here who is literally the fastest man alive? They're not thinking. They're not thinking about cool stuff like that. They're just trying to keep this together. Even Batman's mad. Yeah. Ben Affleck, he's, he, even he's upset. Like He's, he's almost kind of acting like he doesn't want to do it anymore. I, I'm glad you made that connection because I was... Re, I was Debating whether to discuss the uh, Batman uh, issues, uh, I also heard since you brought that up. Um, I also heard that there might be—I mean, this is all conjecture—but there might be issues with Jeff Johns being involved. But that they, there actually might be. Uh, well, what you just said about the the studio kind of kind of interfering with the process with Ben Affleck's process—that was talked about. But they also threw in that maybe. Uh, Jeff Johns having to work with Ben Affleck, that that might be an issue, too. That there might be a number of things going on with how, like you said, there was a turnabout phase with one day everything's good and going around, going along smashingly, and then literally, you know, a few days go by or a few weeks go by, and, and, we don't, and now he says, I don't know about this thing. Darrell, um, dovetailing off of what Claire's been talking about, what, what about this whole deal with Usain, Usain Bolt? And you could extrapolate what you like, but I just have I just feel this kind of reminds me of uh, well, I spoke to, to, to Captain about this years ago 
when Adidas was was cloudy or, or kind of dimwitted with having uh, Run DMC endorse sneakers when this, at the time they were the hottest rap group. Rap was very very new at this point, and they were singing songs like My Adidas, and thousands of kids are holding Adidas in the air at Madison Square Garden, and then they have to kind of figure this out. To me, it's kind of the same thing. Um, I have my other. I'll go into it myself. I have another another take on it as well. But what are your thoughts about this kind of thing? All right. First, let me let me get this on the record. As a Trini American, Usain Bolt is the enemy. But I will say this. I will say this. The way he stood on the world stage and has constantly, constantly performed to the excellence of the game. I want my my Trini athletes, I want my American athletes to rise up to beat him. The problem is my folks love to talk. They'll talk in the media. They'll talk. They'll talk. And then when the kind comes, they can't get the job done. Hi, Tyson Gay. I'm looking at you. All right? Let, let's get that out of the way first. So I respect the way I'm a Knicks fan, and I hate Jordan. I hate the Bulls because of what they put me through in the 90s. But you know what? I respect the F out of them. Why? Because they didn't talk. They got the job done. My boys like to talk. So Usain Bolt, you know what? All props to you, son. Now, that's out of the way. I could get into this. There was another T-shirt made. There was. I remember it being out, and and it's actually very connected to The Flash because I don't know, folks, you got to go and look on YouTube. If you never saw Usain Bolt, I'm a sports geek, so if you never saw Usain Bolt's performance in Tokyo, all right, and how exactly he crossed the finish line, all right, it's famous because he's looking at the camera. He's, he he could have, like, put the world record in the stratosphere. But he had to, like, go as he crosses the line. He had the victory by so much. He was like, ha, ah, that's me. Look, it's giving it a sideway to the camera. Somebody actually made a T-shirt of that using the famous Flash Lightning Trail. On Usain Bolt, like they isolated Usain Bolt's picture, right? They 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 partially gave him the Flash costume, but they dressed it up in the Jamaican colors. So the Thunderbolt was was the yellow, and then you had the black and the green flying, like his red and yellow, which was an awesome visual. And I remember, for some reason, I saw the shirt online, tried to, and it was copyright infringement. It needed to be taken down. That's symbolmatic of what DC is. All right? I'm not going to make this a hate DC thing. Don't get me wrong. But they are blind to ju- not jump on this wagon. It's the fastest man alive. I, I, uh, follow me for a second here, folks, because I'm going to hit you with something, because I've gotten into arguments over the past four days on Twitter, on Facebook, in public, about my hate for DC. You, do you realize how much I would geek out if you had on the Flash TV show someone to teach Grant Gustin how to run? 
I got to increase my speed. Maybe it's my technique that's bad. You, you know what? Who better to ask how to run than to go up to Usain Bolt, the fastest man alive? Hey, Usain, I saw what you did in the Olympics, man. I'm facing this villain. I can't quite get up to speed. You know what? Could you help me with my running technique? That's always something. That is always something that, that me personally, uh, uh, being a sports geek and f- figuring that super speed is an actual superpower where technique is important, I've always had a problem with that. You know, the only place where I saw like them actually talk about this was a Quasar book. If you remember the Buried Alien book, where uh, Barry Allen, uh, well, not Barry Allen, he ended up in Marvel's Quasar, and the writer, Mark Grunewald, actually put in a line like, you realize that I've, I've, I, had to, I had to learn how to run? Super speed is awesome, but I have to learn how to run? Because if I don't know how to run, I could lose control. There's the dynamics to it. Everybody can run. But to run fast in technique, you need to learn something there. So that was always in the back of my mind. It doesn't surprise me that DC doesn't think about these things. You know, hey, hey, I'm the fastest man alive and this guy is beating me. Why don't I seek out a Carl Lewis? I'm the fastest man alive. I, I, I need to learn how to run. Why, why don't I seek out, uh, like, like uh, 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 Mary Lewis or uh, 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 forget the girl's name from Jamaica that, that just won. Cap uh, probably knows. Uh, the small one with the braids. You know, some of these are the fastest people alive. So you have a, a, a character that's fastest person alive wouldn't you want him to learn from these guys or at least do a snippet where hey hey a commercial or something hey i saw you in the olympics i hear you're the fastest person alive can a race i have you say hey you're the flash i've seen you that'd be awesome it doesn't surprise me they don't market this better back to you afrener Yeah, you know, I'm going to bring in something else. Um, you kind of hinted at it, but I, I, I think also 2016 has, has really brought up notions of race and ethnicity and that kind of thing, and I think 2017 is going to be no different. Uh, maybe it, we, we will become more, more deeply entrenched. Uh, there appears to be some kind of psychic, ethnic civil war in the United States with people of color on one side and – uh, the, the the mainstream white person, Midwestern white person, uh, not progressive necessarily, but uh, that's the way things are going, courtesy of our president, our current presidency. And I'm thinking that if 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 Usain Bolt were a prototypical square jawed white male, who would be a marketing a marketer's dream anyway. Because you see, you see, when it comes down to uh, to some of these football football heroes who, who who engender that stereotype, they're able to get these connections going on with no big deal. So I I really would say that if if you say we're someone else, that uh, <laughs> there's no way he wouldn't be there, there wouldn't be a walk on for him with some kind of superheroic connection. 
or super superheroic connotation. But when it comes down to to black, brown, and yellow yellow folks and red people, I'm just saying. I mean, you normally I would not. I I usually try to deracialize things, but I, I'm being brought into this now because I feel things are pretty obvious. I see our friend John John Hutton says Rasta speedster. Even even that terminology is kind of fly. I mean, these things just kind of it's a it's a marketing no brainer, and. It, you you look at these things. I when I see Usain Bolt in this in this T-shirt I'm going to buy, in the in the flat flash headgear, it looks fly as I don't know what, and it's probably one of those knockoffs that really shouldn't be. You know, it's probably some kind of trademark infringement. But at the same time, these things are, are easy to get around as long as if as long as people and, and attorneys get together and figure this out because there's is an obvious financial connection anyway but finances be damned when it comes down to imagery and making these connections that you think would be no-brainers there's always something going on so anyway we'll move on but this is this is one of a one thing of a larger issue that i see clearly is is, is just just bothers me okay let's, I let's just move think things that, you know it's, it's a lot of things it's a lot of things regarding studio it's a lot of things regarding our society, our culture, like where it is right now. I mean, it just feels like a different time, a different life, a different chapter. When I remember Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all of these people on, you know, your cereal box and Michael Jordan in Space Jam and just in terms of imagery and what what the kids were getting all excited about, what we were allowed to be excited about, you know, in terms of our heroes, you know, in terms of these people that that we want kids to, to, to look up to. It's just a different time. We're just in we're entering a different a different phase. And I'm 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 hopeful that things will turn around. I'm hopeful. Do I think they actually will, like logically? Probably not, you know, not for a long time, you know. Um, but I hear what you're saying. It seems like a no-brainer. It seems so obvious that why wouldn't you want to get in on that? But like I said, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, that's becoming more and more obvious, you know, on the daily. Like, if you're telling me you, you only spent six weeks writing Suicide Squad, and then you rewrote it because of, of everything, you know, going on with, with reshoots nowadays, becoming so common, being so obsessed with, with you know, feedback and focus groups and focus testing and, and what the, the board, you know, what the, the investors, what the committee says. I'm, I mean, they're so, they're so far gone in terms of trying to hold it together because they're in such a rush to get everybody in place. That it just it doesn't surprise me. Like hell, they haven't even gotten a director yet. They haven't even gotten a director for the Flash movie. So of course they're not thinking about this. Well, you know, I wonder what how, happened how awesome with, it would be. With, I wonder what happened with Rick Famuyiwa, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I, I noticed that when he did the Dope movie, and I would still advise our listenership to check it out. I think it's on Netflix. That the Dope movie, which is which is. Uh, blurred culture incarnate, I would say. Uh, clearly, his frenetic uh, directing style, 
I could see it really um, fitting in with a Flash movie. And, and actually, his connection to the Flash movie intrigued me to the point where I was actually looking forward to it. And then they also a lot of people were, were able to kind of... Well, not just that, but well, that and also the fact that they have a woman of color to play the Iris West, Iris West role, which they seem to be reticent about changing the ethnicity in print. Although now we have a movie and a TV series that have black women as his paramour, but I, but I digress. Um, but you know what, with that whole you, thing, you would, with uh, uh, her name is uh, Kersey, Kersey Clemens, who Famuyiwa right. worked with in From Dope. Dope. So here's my thing. I am all about that. I'm all about having, you know, Candace Patton on the TV version and, and Kiersey Clemens on the movie version. But here's, here's the thing. When Rick left the project, part of me, and maybe I'm completely off base. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But frankly, if, if, if Ben Affleck is already feeling like, you know, I don't know about this anymore, I mean, you just never know. He changed his, his tone within weeks. So you just never know. But part of me feels like if Rick is not there, I would not be surprised. I wouldn't put it past WB to recast Iris West. Yeah. Well, that, that, that will show you their true intent as well. Exactly. As ugly, as ugly as that would be, as ugly as that would be, Part of me was just had this fear. As soon as I found out that that Samu Yi was was leaving the Flash movie, part of me felt like, oh crap, that means that they're probably going to want Iris West to be white, <laughs> or they're going to want they're going to want to like, you know, her job hangs in the balance because he's the one that cast her. And, so I'm and just, you know I mean, maybe I'm went... paranoid. Maybe I'm just being paranoid. And, but that's my that's my concern because the movie itself seems to be falling apart at the seams. And, and this this natural natural inclination to to whiten everything in a world that's becoming more and more immersive. I know I don't want to use, as you know we don't want to really get into this whole diversity because even that's like a, the whole thing about diversity being a separate thing. I'm not demanding to be to be put into a box uh, when it's just the natural order of things to be immersive or inclusive as opposed to using the term diverse. You know, whatever. Anyway. Exactly. That word, I told you last time, I hate that word. Ava DuVernay, she made a great point as to why that word is just, it just it's meaningless. And it's very divisive. Because diverse, when you use the word diverse, it basically means anything and everything that's not white or male. Well, it, that's well, my why point it pissed is me that off. It pissed me off when when uh, the Doctor Strange people were like, "Oh, but we made Ancient One a woman, so that's diverse." Give me a break. Well, my my point is that with with the recent success which you just mentioned of Rogue One, uh, going toward a billion dollars in really in flash to be to be corny in flash like speed. A billion dollars with a most with a mostly minority cast, um, and now you would see Spider-Man potentially is probably going to make probably going to do the same thing. This whole need to have things everything white, and it's not to disparage white people, but I'm just I'm just being. But this whole thing about making immersion a negative 
and that the old school way, the 1950 way of doing things is the right way seems to be absurd when, it, when the, the, the old time, the old time um, excuse would be, well, you know, it's going to be it's, it's good marketing and, and money. The money's going to be affected. Now they can't even make that. They can't even make that, uh, that argument anymore. Let's go to the captain. Captain, what are your thoughts about this? Then we'll move things forward. I don't think we actually brought you in, pardon me, about Usain Bolt and so forth. Moving along. Moving along, Darrell. Yard man every time. We run things. You understand? <laughs> now, that being said. <laughs> now, that being said. Some, sometimes, you know, these people have to justify their idiotic position also. You know, when they have executive positions, they have to go against the obvious, which is stupid, to justify their position. Oh, well, I came up with this, and we were able to do it this way, and this is why I'm here. All right? Sometimes, sometimes it's like that. You know, they do idiotic things like that. They have to justify their position. And I essentially also agree with what everyone was saying in respect to this. This is the obvious. This is something totally obvious, right? But for me, it's more obvious for the television series and on that, you understand? And you can write in something that, you know, because it's already written in, you know, but maybe it might be a slight change. Maybe it's not a slight change, but it's already written in that there's other speedsters. You know, alternate timeline, he's a speedster. Keep his lines very simple. He's not an actor. You never know. You might be able to be able to act. And then there you go. People are going to watch that. People are going to tune in. It'll probably be the highest rated show. Usain Bolt is on The Flash. That right there. Come on. Right there. You ready to go in? Usain Bolt is on The Flash. There you go. But from that standpoint, but we're dealing with the, the movie situation. Eh, you know, eh, it makes sense. But I'd be more apt for the, you know, the TV series. That's just my opinion in respect well, to Well, you know what? E- you even, know? Even, even, some, even something as quick and goofy as some kind of uh, multidimensional situation. Like, where there's a point where you, you clearly saw him going through different dimensions and you saw different versions of Flash. If you saw Usain Bolt in a Jamaican uh, flag-colored Flash costume from a different dimension... And he just kind of smiled or something. I mean, it could be something really something. quick like that. Yeah. It would be crazy. And I see our friend John Hutton, he even says the Flash and the Bolt. Like the fact that he could yeah. be an ultimate speaker <laughs> called the ultimate. You know, that's this, hot. What, what, what? That's hot. Uh, it, what? What? That's hot. Wait, 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 wait. Just to let you know. Just to let you know. We, 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 we talked about this on Twitter, me and a couple of friends, that we're the guys that think about this. And somewhere, someone listens in and steals the idea about three months later saying, hey, we did it. I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> you know, uh, hey, look, how, how often did we talk about a JLA movie? All right? Okay? And then they go ahead and they finally decide to do it, and they say all of a sudden, well, we don't want to be Marvel. So, and I'm like, wasn't those the words that Cap used? You're like, we don't want to be Marvel. We don't want to copy them. I'm like, well, and Cap always said, hey, they want to do it, but they don't want to be Marvel. They don't want to come off looking like Marvel. I'm like, hey, 
Unofficially, they're plugged into the cap mainstream. Watch. <laughs> Watch. This time, four months away, Flash and Bolt t-shirts be sold to, to, to hype the movie up. Watch. Watch. <laughs> God, you know, God forbid, if you believe in the theory, I'm agnostic, as our longtime listeners know, but God forbid that they would hire folks like ourselves, my, uh, myself and my co-discussants and other blurs and nerds of color uh, and nerds in general who, who live and breathe this stuff as a think tank. They, you would figure, or maybe they do, I don't, I don't know, but you would think these studios, being, as, being that this cultural thing is so big now that they should have think tanks where you, we do what we're doing now. We, we've already conjured up perhaps millions of dollars in revenue in just conversation right, just right here. The flash and the bolt. Thanks to our, our friend John Hutton. But I'm saying just, all of, just, this, just this conversation alone, if they were to actually start to make moves on what we're discussing, what would that mean? You're talking about a multi-million dollar conversation right now based on a think tank. But I digress. Uh, folks, this is the Grind House. We're back live and direct for 2017. The call-in number, if you'd like to join in, is 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. I want to briefly talk about this Netflix series that was just released called Tarzan and Jane. And I, I've mentioned I, I really abhor Edgar Rice Burroughs' Tarzan and Jane, but, but this version of Tarzan and Jane, which is animated, I kind of sort of dig. I don't know if the, if the Uncanny has seen it. Um, I, I think I reached the last episode. It's eight episodes thus far for the season. Um, I'm almost finished with it, and I didn't expect to like it, but they, they did the tweaking that we've been lambasting about with, with, um, with Doctor Strange. The, the things that would be, you know kind of out of sorts where these characters have to, be re, have to be rehabilitated you can see clearly that they rehabilitated some of the notions around Tarzan, Tarzan and it wasn't that bad but it takes the intention for someone to do that uh, many of these studios don't have the, they don't care they, they don't want to do the work Luke Cage we said ad nauseum has been rehabilitated that the 1972 Luke Cage wouldn't translate well for 2016. But they did some things with the cartoon that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, Daryl, before I go to a musical break, did you happen to see this Tarzan and Jane, the animated Netflix series yet? Nope. Honestly, uh, anything Tarzan, I, I stare far away from just because of bad experiences with it. The only reason I'm even picking up Tarzan and the Planet of the Apes is be, uh, from Dark Horse and Dynamite is because of Tim Seeley and David Walker, and and that's won me over. So it's hearing you say that it's it, 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 it's gotten rid of a lot of the racist overtones and stuff. I, I I'll see about giving it abuse, but just for fans out there, look, it, it when it comes to these properties, these pulp properties, and you're steeped in a lot of racist overtones. High spirit, looking at you, you know, it's going to take a lot for me to go, okay, let me go back and check it out. I'm being totally 100 with that. 
Back to you, Afrinerd. All right, let's let's get into that a bit deep uh, with uh, more intensity after the break, folks. Again, it's the Grindhouse, more groove. This is Pharaoh Monch, Queen's own Pharaoh Monch, Immortal Technique, and Vernon Reed. Wow, this is war. We'll be right back. Okay. Renegades, this means war. Sixteen plus to break unjust laws. Overthrow regimes in the name of the cause. Renegades, never slaves, this means war. 100% uncut war. Fuck limited freedom, nigga, we want more. The machine is corrupted down to the core. Rebel motherfucker, this I got a middle war. finger for mass media, mute the news. Cause when the gun draws, receive the million views. Which gives me the right to break the rules Say fuck radio if the people can't pick the shoes While BT gets screwed by Viacom The new revolutionary is Shyamalan It's not brush fire rap, it's five alarm Motivational music after I am gone My innovation, mysticism call me Mr. Wisdom They wanna turn the globe into a prison And being sick is better than being dead Cause when you sick and in bed, you're indebted to me Clone chickens walking around without heads Make the baby sick RS5G chips, are you for 86? This is a war against consciousness Control of your soul, sort of a psychological dictatorship And we are on the front line Guilty as charged if intellect is a crime set. We are renegades, this means war 16 plus to break unjust laws Overthrow regimes in the name of the cause Renegades, never slaves, this means about global warming this is lunar explosions of global warning but when the moon bleeds you can't tell night from morning city submerged underwater post new orleans it's not your average rap recording this is insane lieutenant taking aim at warming well the american brain remains dead and dormant my stimuli supplied by my endorphins the mind Excuse the expletives, ladies and gentlemen. We try to run a clean ship, but, you know, it's very hard to find music, even if it's good music, that they might have some naughty words. Anyway, uh, all New York natives in that mix, Immortal Technique, Vernon Reed, and, of course, the Mighty Pharaoh Monch, War, War. And this is the Grindhouse, folks. We're back, 646-915-9620, again, 646-915-9620. Before the break, we were talking about Tarzan and Jane, this animated series, and I just so happened to check out Netflix. I, I will admit that I'm really into the Netflix thing. Uh, you know, they're always adding new movies and series, and many of them are quite good. I mean, they're really digging in deep. We're probably at the probably at the apex of streaming and and internet television or internet internet cinema. So anyway. Um, I, I love animation, and I saw Tarzan and Jane, and normally I would have just ignored it because I really have a problem with the premise of Tarzan and Jane, Tarzan, let alone Tarzan and Jane. But the whole notion of, uh, again, here we go into race, but Edgar Rice Burroughs, 
he wrote this, and, and if you know anything about his history, he, he was in and out of racism for a man of his time. But, but again, when you talk about a man of his time, in 2017, we seem to see a resurgence of the Edgar Rice Burroughs technique, don't we? Anyway, uh, you know, they tried to reboot this in cinema last year with um, Sam Jackson as, as an actual historical figure. Um, what was his? Was it George Washington Williams, I believe? And uh, a very accomplished polymath, soldier, uh, journalist. Uh, I just heard okay. somebody say something. Uh, is that Daryl? No. Okay, no, I thought I heard someone say something. Anyway, um, so you had, the, you had Sam Jackson in the movie actually portray a, a historical figure of note, highly accomplished, died very young, I believe at 40, 41 years of age, the actual historical person, George Washington Williams. And he was, again, he was a, he was a, a military man, he was a soldier, uh, he was an attorney. This guy did all these things and died at 41, and he also was a person, as a journalist, that unveiled the horrors of the Congo when it was the personal playground of King Leopold of Belgium. And we can talk about the horrors of the Holocaust, but the horrors of the Congo are of note and maybe, if, maybe equally as, as horrific, where it was custom to, to gain for, for, for the, the inhabitants of the Congo to pledge allegiance to Leopold if they did not, the children, and, and especially the children, but you could be any, any citizen of, of, of the Congo, they would lose limbs. There's a horrific picture of, well, there are many pictures of children with missing limbs, but there was a picture of a father who, a Congolese gentleman, of course, looking at the severed limbs of his child. I think his feet or something. I mean, it's, it, so in, in the, the film with with Tarzan, you know, Tarzan comes and be this white savior, not that dissimilar from the, the Great Wall that's forthcoming. But you see how, this, how real life and, and fantasy intertwine, and we don't really get to the truth of matters. Tarzan, historically, has, has toiled in, in this kind of historical backdrop to be this savior and, again, Actual Africans in Africa are just there as background fodder because they're, they're there to kind of usher along white heroism. So that's why, under normal circumstances, I would not look at a Tarzan movie. I just can't do it. And Tarzan fits in very much so with superheroics, uh, fantasy, mythology, and that kind of thing. So they did tap into that a little bit with this Tarzan and Jane animated movie, but they've done some things. They've changed things around to make it more, um, it might even be insidious, but they changed some things around to make it more appealing. Jane appears to be a woman of color. Uh, You see that 
in in the beginning he is of course the plane there's a plane that that um that has engine trouble that crashes in 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 some unknown and it's not saying it's necessarily the Congo because it's a cartoon but he crash lands some african in some african village and only the, this of course Tarzan survives as an infant uh a gorilla saves the child and then gives the child to an African village, and then but the child is sick or near dying, and then the the village chieftain, with some kind of mythological um, meandering or interference, along with a scientific element. There's a a, a doctor, a, a an English doctor, that's working with these villagers, combining science and mysticism. And they combine the science and mysticism. I don't want to say too much about what what happened, but to to save this child. So you see that what they did imbues the child Tarzan with these animal like abilities. So that's where there goes the the, the the comic book thing. There's also another comic book reference that I won't talk about. But um, they they put him back into the hands of the the gorillas to be raised because of him having this partial animal human these partial animal human abilities but you, you also see that he has a, he, he is befriended by the african village and that the african folk are highly educated that one of the african children ends up going to london to study to study so there's things going on that the, you, you have the the african villagers being um highly involved participants in the tarzan storyline and you, even Tarzan's look seems to be very Africanized, where he's wearing dreads, and there's things going on. <laughs> there's more of an immersive thing. So I find that interesting that they they rehabilitated the Tarzan Jane thing for an animated imprint that we didn't see in the film. So I mean, this again, there's always this reticence in with cinema. We're trying to rehabilitate characters that for many years have been, for the most part, offensive. So um, I, uh, with some hesitancy, have to admit, I somewhat enjoyed this Tarzan and Jane film, uh, animated series, pardon me, and probably because they rehabilitated it for me to say, okay, I can kind of get around it. I can get around it. Um. Let me pass the mic around. Uh, you know, I, I I just happened to trip on this animated series. Clay, did you happen to hear anything about Tarzan and Jane? Um, I just saw, you know, the Netflix. They put it up on the rotation. Uh, like, you know, the, how Netflix, they have their featured streaming um, properties that they, they push. I scrolled and I, I came across it, just like you mentioned, Troll Hunters and all that other stuff that I have yet to see, like Voltron and all this other stuff. Um, I mean, I came across it, and I'll be honest, I thought nothing of it. I mean, I, I, I just scrolled right along, you know, because it's maybe not necessarily for the same reason that you or Daryl had not been keen on any Tarzan and Jane stories. Not necessarily for the same reason, but I just have never had an interest in it. And it's funny that you mentioned that there was a movie 
out. And you know what? I completely forgot about it. I completely forgot about it. It took me a minute to even recall that there was a movie recently with Margot Robbie and Alexander Skarsgård, you know, that uh, Christoph Waltz. I mean, I it just it took me a minute to even piece that together because I completely did not even give it a, a second glance. Movie it just does trash. not interest me. <laughs> what? Passengers in the jungle. Go ahead. Passengers in the jungle. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's face it. That's what it is. There's, it just, I mean, there just comes a point. It just comes a point where, and I've said this in the past, and I'm sure many of us have have already kind of said this repeatedly in so many ways, in so many terms. But regardless of however praised something may or may not be. And we've joked about this before. Regardless of whether it's Passengers or Tarzan or Downton Abbey or, you know, Mad Men, you can tell me to your blue in the face how great something is or isn't. All the reasons why I should take a look. But it, it just it's, it's gotten to where if I know a project by definition, is going to look a certain way, I'm not interested. Not because I hate white people, okay? It's not that. But come 2017, there will be 500 TV shows. Look it up. That is not an exaggeration. Come 2017, come into the uh, either... By right now, which is, you know, winter, so we're, we're dealing with a lot of mid-season replacements. We're dealing a lot of um, follow-through from, from last year after they came back from their holiday break. But there will come a point in this year, I'd say before fall, that we will have 500 scripted series between network which is, you know, the ABCs, the NBCs, Basic Cable, which is FX, AMC, Premium Cable, HBO, Showtime, Streaming, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. Across all platforms, 500 TV shows. So if I see something from a trailer or from an ad or from whatever, a poster, telling me that this is a white people story, I take it as such, and I move on. Because there's probably something else that I can find that might be a bit more colorful, a bit more, as we say, inclusive, a little more representative of the world that I see, the world that I live in. As a kid, we didn't have that option. As a kid, we probably had like two or three channels and whatever was at the Cineplex. And that was it. And so we just assume subconsciously that this is how it is and this is how it will always be. I refuse. I refuse. I don't need to give my money to the Great Wall. I don't need to give my money 
to Ghost in the Shell, Gods of Egypt. Why am I going to give money for that? Why am I going to spend my time on that? There is so much other content out there now vying for my attention. I still have to see Atlanta. I still have to see Insecure. Yeah, people are still telling me I got to see, um, what was it, Queen Sugar? There's so much. Yeah, right. There's so much out there vying for my time, vying for my attention, vying for my support. So I don't need to be spending too much of my very little, very limited energy and time these days supporting white products. They're doing just fine without me. They can flop and flop and fail and fail, and they'll still make money. They'll still get hired for another TV show, for another movie, over and over and over again. Not just to tell white people's stories, but to tell our stories too. So I'm just like, I, I'm, I've become very, very picky, very selective, because right now, things are kind of crazy for me. I know I feel like I'm always saying that, but especially now, I'm going to be real. I'm very stressed out. I'm very stressed out trying to find an apartment, because Los Angeles, the rent has spiked. It has skyrocketed. So all this other stuff, it's like, oh, my God, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm trying to balance everything out. So when I have my downtime, when I have a free moment, yeah, I'm I, I'm not going to give it to a show that guaranteed is not going to have any people of color. And if and if and beyond that, it's not even about just you know that's one part of it, but it just disrespects you. If they have people of color in it, it's probably going to be be disrespectful. So. I mean, there's a lot of things you can you can extrapolate from that. Exactly, uh, well, it's probably going to be disrespectful, or at the very least, just 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 limiting, very limiting. People have been yelling at me for years. Why aren't you watching Game of Thrones? You call yourself a nerd? What's wrong with you? Watch Game of Thrones. But again, <laughs> it goes back to that resistance. It goes back to that innate sense within me that says, "Why should I watch this? Regardless of however many awards." Regardless of however many millions of viewers it garners, part of me says, "Yeah, but it's not your story." You know, it's thing, not for um, you. One quick thing to our listenership: uh, I, I noticed there was a Philippines area code that came through. Uh, it goes to show you how far this show actually goes. Philippines, um, folks. Wow. It, yeah, nine nine four three area code. For those who'd like to um, to join in. Uh, definitely, well, we have folks from Japan. Shout out to Tokyo Mike is a is a regular listener. Um, hold on, if you know, join join in. You're welcome to the to join in on the discourse. Just press one as a reminder that you want to join in to, for us. There are a number of people on hold, but if you'd like to join in, uh, definitely press one, and that way our systems, our boards will let us know that you want to join in on the conversation. So for the Philippines caller, uh, definitely call back or anyone else nine. Uh, 646-915-9620, again, 646-915-9620. Uh, again, I gave you my, my piece on Tarzan and Jane, the animated series. You might want to check it out, give it a, give it a swirl, see what you think. Uh, un- again, under normal circumstances, this really would not be my cup of tea. 
uh, if they had gone more into the George Washington Williams story for what that first of all, that gentleman deserves his own story by himself as a historical figure. Uh, but if they were going to include him as a quasi fictional character, they should have given him more meat. But <laughs> for someone who has that, for someone like that, he would overshadow Tarzan if you're going to be really honest. But I digress. Let's move things along a little bit. Um, I see that. Well, you know what? I want to. I want to go into um, uh, something I was thinking about. I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit. I was thinking about this. Uh, as to, I'm going to lead this into Daryl to get his impression. I was thinking about how comic book storylines have have changed over the years. There's always a notion of retroactive continuity or retconning to the to the uninitiated. To retcon something means you might want to change an origin story. We know Spider-Man was bitten by a spider uh, on a class trip, visiting the, visiting this scientific experiment, visiting this, this laboratory, and he was bitten by a spider and so forth. And sometimes as, as the years go on, as the decades go on, they may revisit that storyline and change it around or add something to it. That's what we know to be as retroactive continuity. It's done all the time. But there's something else that I think is actually different than retroactive continuity, and it's what I, I think, what I would consider to be evolution. When a character evolves, when a character ages, when a character has children. I mean, this is all fiction, but when you're reading this, there's, there's an element of folks who do not want their characters to change. And then there's another element when characters just do things that are natural that are what you would think would be natural. We saw for many years, to my chagrin, Peter Parker was perceived as this consummate loser, hyper intellect, but he had this bad luck streak going on. And as a reader, it turned me off. So we see now that this character has evolved. There's a point where Peter Parker w- was would never be a part of the Avengers. They just ne- they just never explored that. There was there was parts where uh, the characters did not their secret identities w- were unknown to each other. Then later on, you find out through someone like uh, oh, Daryl, help me out. I'm not a ginseng. It was in and then it was out. The, the right. um, Ben Urich that kicked in. Ben Urich. And I'm not going to go into so much detail with how he knew, knew some of these people, but it's kind of a comical way how he knew how how he knew some of the the, the, um, the secret identities. But there was a point where all these people kind of knew each other. So now it's common knowledge that everyone knows each other. That that, that at least amongst themselves, superhero the superhero community, they kind of know many of these folks know their secret secret, ide- secret identities. But anyway, Peter Parker has has, has changed from being this kind of consummate teenage loser to becoming, to becoming a teacher at the very high school that he attended. Then he ended up becoming uh, this, this scientific genius, which he's kind of always been, but really embracing that. And now he has morphed into a type of Tony Stark, where he's, he's even a rival or a colleague of Tony Stark. He worked with Tony Stark at some point. He, he, so, this, this, so now we're, we're led to believe that there's a Parker Industries that now he, he's no longer this this kind of loser. This he, that's not his character. He's, so he's evolved. Batman has a son. 
a blood son. That has been an evolution. Superman now, we were led to believe, could never have children. Now there is a version of Superman, if, if it will remain. But this new Superman, um, now he has a son. And I find, it, it, I find the stories interesting. So I'm going to go this, take this to, to Daryl. Um, with the evolution of your characters, do you perceive these changes to, to remain? There's always this thing about sometimes changes take place, and then we quickly see that they move, that they 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 go they revisit they go back they re, they reboot and go back to the same old standard. What are your thoughts about that? Well, that's that's my problem. Okay, and again, I'm I'm going to take this in another direction. Nick Spencer. All right. A lot of folks probably don't know the name. He's the guy that's writing Captain America, Sam Wilson, and Captain America, Steve Rogers, right now. He's been getting lots of flack from the usual places about Sam Wilson, and an equal measure about the new Mexican American Falcon. He's been getting flack for that. All right. Like these characters ain't supposed to change. So, Big Spencer shoots back. All right, so you don't want your characters to change, yet I see on your pages how much you like Nightwing as, as uh, Nightwing, a.k.a. Dick Grayson as Batman. So, oh, oh, that's right. The character ain't supposed to change because it's of a different race. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. He got flack for that. And I, I agreed with him 100%. Change is still relevant. One of my things about, and and by the way, you brought up, Peter Parker getting a business and stuff. Credit Doc Ock for that. Because remember, Doc Ock is the guy who, like, quote-unquote, started Parker Industries while he was in Peter's body. Superior Spider-Man storyline. Yes, the Superior Spider-Man storyline. And then when Peter returned to it, and I I forget the um, Ock's love's name, the, the... the the little person diminutive, yeah, the yeah, diminutive the, woman yes. yeah and she goes well okay so what's your plans for running the company and Parker was like I'm doing what now I got what <laughs> <laughs> so I, essentially Peter's been thrust into this thing now and, and secret wars aside he's now going with the ups and downs of uh, quote unquote being Tony Stark you know, so so he's got to deal with that. I love growth. It's one of the things I love my characters to grow. This whole after 18 months, after two years, we got to take the character back down to base zero and throw everything out. I found that crap. I love books like DC just uh, had Lois and Clark. Where essentially it's the Batman in the 90s and Lois Lane in the 90s. They had the kid, but they're stuck on the new 52 planet. And they're dealing with the ups and downs of raising a child. How would Superman and Lois Lane raise a kid? Knowing who Superman and Lois Lane are. Especially when it isn't their Earth. I found that intriguing. Right? When when Peter Parker and Mary Jane was going to have the kid, I was hyped for it. Meanwhile, you had another set of people going, no, well, Peter Parker ain't supposed to get married. He's supposed to be a hapless loser. Excuse you? P- 
Peter Parker is supposed to be one of the smartest guys in the Marvel Universe. He doesn't have to be a hapless loser all his life. Hell, listen, listen, you that's complaining about him, he ended up with Mary Jane. He ended up with Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy. <laughs> he, he, had, he had Felicia Hardy for a time. Those are some of the hottest women ever in the Marvel Universe. So how much of a loser is Peter Parker, really? But I digress. They don't like change. They want their 1950s, 1960s versions of these characters to be frozen, all right? If it's, what, 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 was, what was the Chris Rock line? If it's all white, it's all right. <laughs> Some of these people, they're well, not going to admit it. They're not going to admit it to your face. All right, and that's what pisses me off sometimes. All right, I, I'm I'm picking up these stories and I'm liking, I'm digging the vibes. All right, remember remember the furor over the Rob, not Robbie Reyes, uh, Jamie Reyes's Blue Beetle when that first came on the scene. Oh, but it's always been Ted Cord. Ted Cord is dead. Remember the 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 the, the thing over the Ultimate Sp- Spider Man. Oh. Miles Morales is Spider-Man, but it's Peter Parker. Peter Parker is dead. You know, some of these guys can't accept that a writer comes on a book. They're going to tinker. They're going to put their own spin on it. And they're going to either grow the character or take the character in a new direction. Right? And as I say this in full disclosure, all right, You guys all know, I said it on air, I hated Superior Spider-Man in the beginning. Doc Ock in Spider-Man's body? I'm not immune to that. I hated the new 52 Superman. Time, over time, you know, I gave it a chance because I may have hated direction of the character, but I liked who was working on it. I know what they were doing. We got into discussion, what, two weeks ago about Tom King and and Batman with the suicide thing? And people got mad at me for that. But I said, yo, it's Tom King writing it. He's the guy who did Omega Men. He's the guy who did Vision. He's one of the guys that did Checkmate. You think he's a hack? You think he's just, oh, I'm going to just throw this in the story and let's see what sticks. Well, similarly to that point, yo, if, you, if uh, it, was, it was JMS, right? It was JMS that did Spider-Man as a teacher. People hated that. Excuse me, Spider-Man likes to learn. It would be only natural for Spider-Man wanted to pass that knowledge on to kids. A teacher was an obvious step. People got mad at that, all right? Just like I got mad at at Doc Ock taking over Peter Parker's body. But here's the thing. Unlike those people, I gave the character a chance, and let's see how this is going to develop. There's some people that just get on with these opinions, all right, and they don't want to listen to the other side. They don't want to follow what's going on. No, no, no. I need my character the way it's always been right now. Get him off the book. He sucks. She sucks. This sucks. Those are the people 
that make comics to the mainstream a joke. Oh, this ain't real art. This isn't very informative. All right? That's, that's one thing I want to see in 2017. Our fan bases have to learn and grow. You have to learn and grow the stories. Now, I'm saying this. You may not truly like the story because of the story. No problem with that. But I guarantee you, we all have friends. We all have seen people on Twitter and Facebook irrationally hate something for irrationally no reason at all. Except it doesn't fit their model. Now, well, I, I got to mention got, this. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Go right ahead. I got to mention this also. You know, the the racial context is one thing. I'm not even talking about race race in this way. I mean, race is an element of your argument, but also just change for change's sake. Marvel also has, and again, I know Claire might be a little bit out of sorts because this isn't necessarily cinematic yet. This is we're all talk. This is all print talk now. But now there is an infamous, an infamous Iron Man. Daryl, infamous mm-hmm. Iron Man is A.K.A. Victor Victor Von Doom, and it's Victor Von Doom, and it's kind of and, and, and the recent issue. The recent issue is very insidious, actually, as to why he is all of a sudden quote unquote good. He's being good <laughs> yeah. because think that he's being good for not the reasons that you think a person should be good, but he's he's a longtime villain, or even a, this new term that I've kind of discovered, anti-villain. And now, because, uh, at least for the moment, Tony Stark is off the board, and there are several Iron people, Riri Williams being one, and now uh, someone who's always been an Iron Man, in quotes, but I never necessarily looked at him this way. Doctor Doom, uh, this Doctor Doom has, I don't know, I, I guess through magic, maybe? He's kind of, he's no longer this scarred being. Oh, no, no, no. End of Secret Wars. End of Secret Wars. One of the things Mr. Fantastic did was he healed Doom's face. Well, let me get to my point. There's Go even ahead. been an issue as to whether he was actually even scarred to begin with or scarred to the degree that we think he – you know this. I think Stan Lee had it where uh, he, was, he only wanted him to have like a little nick on his face. And because of, of Dr. Doom's um, mental state, that one Ma- – Madame Mask also, which is also an Iron Man connection. I'm going into uber geekness right now. Uh, there's a question mark as to whether he's actually been scarred to the degree that we think he's been scarred. And then there's a storyline where he, he heated the mask and put the, the mask on his face, which – where he was mut- – he mutilated himself. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who- – I don't know. I don't know why or how he is scarred, but for the for the present, and you're right. Post post Secret Wars, he's now been he's now a a, a non scarred, uh, suave Doctor Doom, and he he's he's flying around in a type of Iron Man costume, Iron Man armor. So for all intents and purposes, he is an Iron Man, but he's an Iron Man is this kind of um, toiling in superheroics, where we know him to be a villain. So he has his own comic book now. Doctor Doom is infamous Iron Man. 
that's an evolution of that character. Now, I, I hope that they, they, were, they keep that in some way. But, it, but what gets me is that, listen, this, is go, this goes back to when we spoke about the need for some kind of think tank. Because I can sit around – you, you and I can sit around and think about a whole lot of stuff for Marvel and DC that they have yet to explore. Even Ta-Nehisi Coates, who I think is doing a great job with Black Panther – and now the world, world of Wakanda, which I think is also probably someone thinking outside the out the box. Um, shout out shout to, out to Gay. Roxanne Gay. Ro- Roxanne Gay. Um, I would still like I would still like to know more about the world of Wakanda. I mean, the physical world of the Wakandan culture and city. What is it like to be a business person in Wakanda? What is it like to like to are they are there shops? Are there are there museums? Like you know, what is the now, we've seen a map of Wakanda, but what is, what, what is it like to be a, a Wakandan citizen walking around? Like Gotham City, we know there are streets in Gotham. We know a certain addresses in Gotham. Uh, it's, Gotham is, is a character unto itself. Why isn't Wakanda – what about you know, – Wakanda's, Wakanda's a country. There's got to be cities in Wakanda. There's got to be towns in Wakanda. There's got to be shopkeeps in Wakanda. I mean, this, this this is when you think outside the box. There might be. What about a mutant in Wakanda? What about a an inhuman in Wakanda? Whatever. I mean, there's there's a lot of things going on that have yet to be explored. All we know that oh, it, it's if you really get into the bare bones of mythology and you extrapolate some things, this 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 is why comic books comic book mythology is never ending. You know, when even with now that we know there's a, there is a black Superman. Uh, Val Zod Someone who I've said this on air before but you know This is just logic and it's not It's not going to be explored but if you have a A black person as Superman now What does that mean In 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 the Americas Like okay you are an alien With a with a with an African Face how do you relate to other Black people now You know you 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 know you just you know what does that mean like if you encounter racism, racism is alien to you. You just happen to look this way. It's almost connected to Icon in some way. I think, well, Icon actually did a better job of that. Icon, I'm going into, into Uber, but Icon from, from the uh, Milestone mythology. These are the things that, that drive me crazy. Well, Afro-Nerd, let me, let me just say this. And, and Cap, I'm going to recommend something to you right now. All right, and I know you're not the biggest fan of the new Star Trek reboot, but on the comic side, Star Trek has been doing this crossover with with Green Lantern, okay? And in the first volume of it, they they introduced the rings and the ring slingers over to the new Star Trek universe, okay? So you figure, oh, it's a one-off, but you forget at the end of the book, essentially the ring bearers are because of what they had to do are stuck in the new universe. Q, the ne- the number one that dropped, I want to say three we- three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and the writer Mike Johnson, I believe, is the writer. He f- naturally carries this out to 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 its conclusion. Like what? Okay, we established that they're stuck in this new universe. All right, they're stuck in this new universe, this new future away from their batteries, away from everything, and he takes it to the next step. 
all right, so they're stuck here. Okay, they don't have their batteries. It's not unlimited power without a power source. So what would the Green Lantern, Sinestro, uh, the leader of the atrocious, you know, um, uh, the dude that does hope, uh, uh, the, the, the Blue Lantern, they're stuck in this new universe. How are they going to adapt and cope? And he grew this, this thing into the next series. The problem is, and this is what I, I get at, I use race. Because normally when you get, like, a racial component, they're usually introduced into these books, replacing the established heroes. But it goes for anything. You brought up Dr. Doom as Iron Man, right? You know how many people love that idea? And how, how many of those same people hated the fact that Riri was going to have an Iron Man suit, even though she hasn't called herself Iron Man? That harkened back to me in the 90s when John Henry Irons puts on the steel costume and everybody's calling him, we can't have a black Superman. A black Superman. Can't. And John and uh, the writer addresses it in the book. I never called myself Superman. I'm steel. I wear the S to honor the, the, the memory of the man that I'm going to try to be a hero for. Same with Riri. I'm going to wear my iron suit. I'm not replacing Iron Man, but I want to live up to what she thinks is his heroic ideal. And people got mad at that. Folks, it, it's natural to pick up the sword or pick up the gun or pick up from where a fallen hero left off and goes, I'm going to continue in your place. It is a story as old as time. It doesn't mean that person has to be white. It doesn't mean that person has to be male. It doesn't mean that it has to be the same story you've always heard, except it's the same story you always heard because this is comic books. <laughs> this, this goes well, all the what? way back to the Iliad. Dara, I want to pass the mic to um, to Claire for a minute, but I do want to mention this quickly to get her impressions on this, because um, she may not be as aware of the print the print uh, mythology versus the cinematic mythology. But I, I'm just thinking that what what we see with this female Thor, and now the unworthy Thor, that that could be construed as an evolution. And because of the evolution of these characters, they're actually more interesting. It, you know, it, it's able – because if you keep on repeating the same story over and over again, and you always have the same villains – I mean, because it's, it's a part of comic books that, you know, it's very serialized, obviously. But also it can be, it can be repetitive to absurdity. You can't have people fighting. You can't have the Fantastic Four fighting Doctor Doom, which they've been doing for decades, fighting each other. To, to, where it becomes just, it's just, it's, you get a headache off of this stuff. Uh, and I suspect Natalie Portman, no one's mentioning this, but Natalie Portman, now she might be, well, you know, now I kind of want to get back, I want to holler back at Marvel because no one's saying that, well, this Thor, this new Thor now is a woman. Now I'm wondering, did, did she hear, I'm pretty sure she heard of the popularity of that character in this current iteration. Ah, uh, Harrison Fordidus. Could, 
<laughs> yeah, could she be? Because before we listen, I always got the impression, and, I, and maybe Claire can even expound on this as well. I always got the impression that you know Portman, you know she she was in Black Black Swan. Was she in Black Swan? Black Swan, and you know she she's she's a heavy duty actress now. She's coming off of this um uh where she plays um Jackie Jackie uh, Kennedy um mm-hmm. pre Onassis um you know. I always I always felt that she kind of just was standoffish of this whole comic book thing. That it's so, you know I never thought she embraced it. But now that we hear that there's a female Thor that's kicking ass, that's actually interesting. Now she's raising her hand and saying, you know, I never said I didn't want to be down. I don't really believe that. I think it's something to do with this female Thor. That's my impression. I'm just saying. Anyway, um, passing the mic to to uh, the lovely Claire Lene. Claire, what what are your thoughts about these characters evolving? And um, you know that the fact that they should be that they should become permanent, like th- that we would hope that the evolution is a permanent thing. I'm thinking some of this stuff might just become permanent, as opposed to the normal way that comics work is that okay, we test this for a minute. You know, Captain America's black for about a year, and then we go back to the old way. Now nah, I don't know if they're doing that. What are your thoughts about evolution versus, you know, kind of the repetitive nature of of comic books and and even the uh, Natalie Portman thing? Well, I mean, I don't really know. I don't really know how to answer that because, on the one hand, in terms of what you were mentioning, you know, retconning everything, which not just with uh with comic books but certainly with comic books because they're they've been around in America, you know, 80 plus years. But with anything that has such an ongoing canon lore history um it's going to be that that you know, that push and pull. The push and pull of okay, well that's not that's not my Superman. That's not my Captain America. That's not who I view as the true embodiment, the true version, the original. You know, everybody's going to have their reservations when it comes to change, when it comes to what we talked about in the previous segment, when it comes to trying to take characters and storylines that were inherently, inherently, problematic, inherently offensive, inherently racist and stereotypical. I mean, as the world changes, so are our stories. So will our our uh, our literature, our 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 art. I mean, that's the whole point. We it, it reflects life, you know. And sometimes you don't even know which one came first, art imitating life, life imitating art. But but I'm always going to hear both sides of it, and it, both sides make sense. On the one hand, I can see why people think, well, no, no, you can't do that. No, that's not really Spider-Man. That's not really who Batman is. He would never say that. He would never behave like that. He's not black. That's not the real one. And even from people of color that I've talked to, even then, we've become we are ourselves very 
skeptical because we know, like you said, okay, so, you know, Sam Wilson, we're going to have a, a black Captain America for, like, you know, a year, and then it'll go back to normal, quote-unquote, normal, whatever. But at the same time, why is it that some properties, they seem to be so gung-ho and excited and willing to, as you said, rehabilitate or update for modern times to where we can tell this story this day and age, you know? I mean, not everybody's going to agree. Not every, It's not everybody's cup of tea. Quentin Tarantino, he has said it that he would have preferred a shaft version of Luke Cage he would have preferred a 70s black exploitation version of Luke Cage. That's what he would have preferred because that is what he grew up on. That's like that's what he's passionate about. And you can tell from all of his movies. That's just the that's the lens that he sees, you know, those stories, you know, being perceived and it being told. You know, that's his preference. Okay. All right. And he himself has somehow, you know, found a way to to empower that and not and not see it as offensive or or debilitating or limiting, you know? More power to you. But I just what bothers me is that how is it okay that you can rehab or update certain properties but not others? Others I'm seeing you know, piss poor examples of of modernizing or changing or altering or flipping just just for the sake of of shaking things up or just for the sake of of trying to create some sort of balance because like I said I'm you know they want to act like having a woman is diverse well it it's not like diverse I just it's important it's important when the majority of your characters are all men and you don't want it to be a sausage fest yeah, gee, here's a thought. Let's have a woman do something that's remotely integral to the plot. What a concept. How novel. Oh, my goodness. So I'm just, I don't know. I hear both sides of it. I hear some people saying that, no, these characters are a certain way. These are their characteristics physically, uh, personality-wise. This is what they are, this is who they are, and this is exactly what they need to look like. Everything else is just, you know, an interpretation. And then other people are saying, well, you know, we got to get with the times. It's 2017. You're going to try to, you know, tell this story from a perspective that was created or written 40, 50 years ago? I mean, how is that going to work? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. There's no easy answer on that one. That's the whole point of retro, retroactive continuity is because you're just kind of you're playing. You're you're just kind of modifying, tweaking, because you want to keep it. You want to keep the essence of the character. Otherwise, why would you even use the character? Why would you use their name and their likeness? The whole point is, is you you want them. You want to tell that story, but you want to tell it in our world and in our time. So there's just it's always going to be kind of a, a tricky balance there. 
As for Natalie Portman, listen, she's a talented actress. I do not deny that. But when I heard all these, you know, rumblings about her wanting to come back to Thor or wanting to come back to the MCU, I said it on my Twitter. I was like, no thanks. No thanks. Not because I have anything against her, but because from day one, she was not a good fit. She doesn't have any chemistry with Chris Hemsworth. And frankly, the tone in which the first and second Thor took, it has a, it's, a, it's much lighter, it's much more fantastical. It has to balance all these different you know, elements that kind of make it difficult to keep it grounded, which is why you have to use a lot of humor. Same thing with Doctor Strange, fantastical. Therefore, difficult to be grounded. So you can't take yourself too seriously. You got to have some humor, lightness. So Natalie was constantly overshadowed by Kat Dennings, who played her uh, her friend, her assistant. Constantly overshadowed by her, because she had all the great lines. She had all the one-liner jokes that just you know popped in, did her thing, you know. And made us all laugh, and then it's like, oh, okay, she's gone again. You know, I mean, that, to me, it just it's very clear from the get-go that she was a poor choice for Jane Foster. And I think that's why eventually it caught up when Dark World just didn't quite land. I'm not saying it was a terrible movie, but let's just face it. Thor is the weakest link so far in terms of the... Um, in terms of the solo, you know, outings, the, the the solo movies, he's the weakest link. He's the dud. You know, he's fantastic with them as a, as an ensemble, and he is very funny. But so far, it doesn't feel as though they've been able to carry that individually. So that's why I'm very curious to see what happens in November when Ragnarok comes out, and you've got a whole new perspective, very unique director coming on board with his sense of humor, his kind of, his his timing. He's he's very different from Kenneth Branagh, who's very Shakespearean in his approach. And then Alan Taylor, who did the second one, who is, in my opinion, a B-level action, you know, director. So now we got a guy who's, his again, just like with how Russo Brothers, Everyone was like, you guys, you're getting these guys? These guys do comedy. You guys are getting these, you know, these two brothers to do a huge action undertaking, and then they knocked it out of the park with Winter Soldier. So with this guy, I'm very curious. I want to see what happens. Jeff Goldblum, Carl Urban, Kate Blanchett, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. You know, I'm curious. I'm curious. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, Natalie Portman. Uh, but no thanks. We don't need you. I, I, I th- and frankly, we I don't want much, you either. I tell you this much. I wouldn't be shocked that if she comes back into the fold, that she comes back and she starts coughing. And then we see that, okay, she has cancer. Then we know they're setting us up for some kind of unworthy Thor. I mean, uh, it's not like they're not they're – not, uh, mining some of these storylines from the comic books. Ragnarok is definitely from the comic book. So 
as, as well as uh, Norse mythology. More importantly, it's Norse mythology, but it's also from the comic books. So I wouldn't. I suspect they may, you know, they may kowtow a little bit to Ms. Portman because she does have a certain Why? amount of cachet. No, Why? Wait, 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 wait. Because she doesn't you serve that, them. But as you say that. I saw people more hyped about the, oh, we're getting another Thor, Daryl, uh, like, webisode than, oh, Natalie Portman says she wants to come back. More people are yeah. hyped about the roommate coming back than Natalie Portman is. That should tell you something. Enough said. Yeah, I'm just think, I'm thinking about the, the, the storyline going forward. Like, what happened? You know, you got to have... Like, there's another question, and we may have this on another, another show, but what happens beyond these phases in Marvel? Because now we're getting, you know, so much, so much time has passed now. We're talking about almost a decade of Marvel movies that there's got to come to a point that, you know, this, this intertwined cinematic universe has to go to something else beyond these phases. So that's something we may have to talk about in the future. Cap, any thoughts? And then we'll go for another musical break, and then we'll, we, we will expound more. Any thoughts on the evolution of some of these characters? Um, like, for, I'll give an example. Donald Blake, since we're on Thor, we just accept that Donald Blake is no longer around. But Donald Blake, for decades, was part of the Thor mythology, his alter ego, and now we just accept that he's no longer really in the mix. Like, characters evolve, and I'm just curious as to some of the evolution that we've seen now with some of these characters. Because to me, evolution is different than retroactive continuity. They're, they really are kind of sort of different. A character naturally having children, having a family, evolving, that's different. What are your thoughts about the evolution of, the, of these characters at, at becoming permanent? Listen, we still got the nine realms, right? So we bring Hercules to the planet. <laughs> there we go. Let me finish. We bring Hercules to the planet and then let Thor and Hercules go after over Natalie Portman. There we go. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, God. Follow <laughs> <laughs> the, the evolution when it comes to these characters. Sometimes it works really well. We know from the comic book sometimes it's just a cash grab, and then they flip it back, you know. And sometimes it works very well. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot of pushback. It's just one of those things. I think Claire summed it up perfectly, you know. When people grow up a certain way, they like to hold on to that. Because if you're really into these books, and we know Daryl at times goes here like this. He goes here. Your opinion is wrong. Your opinion is wrong. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. That's genius, by the way, Daryl. That's genius. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's genius. Your opinion is wrong. Your opinion is wrong. That's Donald science, by the way. But I got to add to it. My opinion is right. My opinion is right. So you didn't do that part with it, Donald. But it's genius, by the way. I, I swear to God. So, anyway, let me continue. Go so ahead. Listen, listen, let me continue. Let me continue. So, Don't make me angry. Sometimes you wouldn't like me when, when you I'm angry. grow up with these characters and you read them and you open back the book, it takes you back in time. And gives you that same type of feeling at the, that you had at the given time when you first bought it at the comic book store and everything else. So the geeks, the nerds, they'll push back at times. They don't want they don't want that change because like it's, you're changing their own mythos, 
which is not really the mythos, it's what really happened to them. You're changing their own story, you know? So they'll push back from time to time with that. So sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And you got to play around with it some, you know? Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't like it. You know, I'm not all the way in with this type of thing. I'm like a 60-40. You know, 40% of the time, yes, 60% of the time, don't change anything. Back to you, Afro Nerd. It's funny you mention that because uh, I definitely would like to see a Hercules. You know, well, first of all, The Rock played Hercules and did a pretty good job. And I think the movie actually made money. But we know that he's going to be Black Adam. And he might be uh, a presidential candidate for 2020. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I kid you not that uh, his name is kind of <laughs> – his name and – well, listen, something else that you might be um, – you might be. You might be interested, interested in the Rock versus um, Kanye 2020. Have already happened. <laughs> but that's what I'm t- saying. And also, Batman may be uh, 2020. I say that. I say that colloquially. But Batman, uh, or I should say, uh, Christian Bale's doppelganger, your Lieutenant Governor Claire. Um, uh, why am I forget his name? Uh, New- Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom's name has come out, and if, if anyone puts it puts in Gavin Newsom, he's the spitting image of Christian Bale. He, people even joke in Cali that he looks like he comes from Central Casting. Anyway, that's that, I'm just putting that out there. But uh, I would like to see more of these realms explored in the cinematic universe, and I would like to see a Hercules make an appearance as a Submariner. Although Submariner's IP is somewhat murky, as as I'm sure. Uh, the great uncanny can tell you, but uh, that would interest me as we go further in to these phases. You know, we have hell. We have the Inhumans coming out this year, so it, after the Inhumans, it's all bets are off to me. Let's go to the phones, then we'll go to a group four eight four. I think this is our friend Q Storm. Q, is that you? Yes, it is. How you doing? <laughs> Pretty good, man. Happy New Year. Good, good. Same to you. Well, I don't say Happy New Year anymore. I just say New Year. Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to I, – I'll wait for the crowd to catch up. I'll wait for you guys to catch up. Um, anyway, um, I just wanted to speak to what Afrono was saying about, you know, evolution of characters, and I'll just weigh in real quickly. I, I think that we do accept the evolution of characters if, whether we're talking about the movies or in one of the properties in the books, if there's a story – that really stands out or really people glom onto, I think you do see the I do I think you do see the characters evolve. If you look at the X Men, it used to be Angel, Beast, Cyclops, Iceman, and Jean Grey, and then all of a sudden in that giant X Men annual number one or whatever it was, we had all these new characters. No one knew who they were. That's but those are that when I think of X Men, that class is what I think of now: Wolverine, Cyclops. Uh, uh, Colossus, uh, Nightcrawler, you know, so that was an evolution. Same thing with uh, with Iron Man. Let's, you move forward. Well, the next one would be Dark Knight. Batman had a certain sort of, um, he had a gravitas to him, but he was still somewhat, when I think of Neil Adams' art, he was still kind of light and, you know, he he, he was a badass, but he, he wasn't as, 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 as driven as he is once Dark Knight came out, or the, the Frank Miller book came out. And then I think that rewrote Batman. He kind of evolved into this venging angel after that came out. Same thing with Iron Man. Iron Man, Tony Stark was kind of like a stoic, kind of a, 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 a charisma-free 
type of character from what I remember reading him. Then Robert Downey Jr. came in 2008, and the books rewrote that character, his personality, to suit Robert Downey Jr. So I do think you do see, maybe I'm off base, I do think you do see some ev evolution in the characters and the audiences from the books or the movies accepting that evolution. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm off base. Well, uh, for me, oh, it wasn't Downey. Yeah, for me, it wasn't Downey that rejuvenated the character for me. I mean, that for the mainstream, oh, wow, da, da, da. that fraction run of Invincible Iron Man, where literally Tony Stark is doing, uh, like, uh, that's where the rescue armor got introduced. That was where he, he's world traveling, trying to, to clear, dur during the whole Dark Reign stuff, where Norman Osborn is trying to get him, because now he's in control. He's taken over S.H.I.E.L.D. and the superhero division of the U.S. government from Tony Stark, because of, of what happened, Secret Invasion and stuff. That that turned Iron Man into a like a spy type novel, like like a James Bond type thing. That's what re-energized the character for me on the page because I got tired of the Shield stuff. I hated the first Civil War. You know, I I I, I was on record with that. I wanted a tangible bad guy. I wanted you know and someone for Tony Stark to play off of. You know, and uh, how he used to be when Busick was writing him with Mandarin. You know, I wanted that 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 thing and him slowly losing his intellect, but to, to protect all the information and the secret identities and and his his most of his armor for, so that if Osborne caught him, he, they they couldn't use that information. That was great to me. That's what I wanted to see on film. But the problem was, hey, Osborne, you're with Sony. And hey, we're doing this comedic Stark on on film, and one and two, good to great. Three, we slightly missed the drop the ball on three. We, we admit we, most Marvel fans can't admit three. We we dropped the ball on. But you know, but that's that's going to your point. Where on screen you have a chance to do something with it. There's been so many Thor good stories out there. There's been so many great Thor stories out there that I find it funny that they can't get one to be a cohesive story from beginning to head to end, except when it comes to Loki. Loki's the best, by the way. <laughs> by the way, I just wanted to say, uh, you guys were talking about Thor a few minutes ago. Claire said that Thor is the weakest link in the Marvel Universe. I, I agree completely, but the character the character of Thor deserves better than what they've been giving us. He, Thor, Alphonard even validated what I'm thinking. Thor, or, or maybe it was you, uh, uh, Daryl, we're waiting to see those little comedic YouTube viral videos with Thor. Thor is now a punchline in the Marvel Universe. He's he's a he's a comical character now. I I don't take him seriously anymore. Even in Doctor Strange, he's made to be a punchline. He's a punchline in Doctor Strange. So I, they they they're really doing that character an injustice. Uh, they've done him an injustice. His movies are the worst of the Marvel 
universe as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, that's why I'm glad to see Ragnarok. You're going to steal from Planet Hulk, but you're actually stealing my idea for how to rehabilitate Superman. You want to save Thor? Get him off Earth. <laughs> Get him off Earth. Make everybody realize and respect the power of a god. And Thor's a god. And I think, you know, honestly, well, when we saw when we saw Hulk and Thor fighting in Avengers 1, I mean, I love those scenes. I really love those scenes. And there's and there's some humor it's clever, and it's such a full, you know, t- taking full advantage of of what, you know, these two titans are capable of, you know. So it makes sense. Okay, we're not going to put them in Civil War. We're not going to include them. We're going to give them their own separate story. And it makes sense that you take the two weakest characters, which ironic, ironic that it's not the first time that, that um, that this has been a problem, that when you have a character that is so powerful, what happens, it ends up being a handicap in terms of developing a solid plot, in terms of developing a good story. Because you basically have these two gladiators now who are going to be going at it, you know, in this uncanny Thor slash Planet Hulk mashup you know, come this November. But the reason why it makes sense is because you've already tried all these other, you know, combinations, and it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to line up as well. So now I feel like if they just remember how well those scenes worked. Remember when, um, oh, what, what was it? But first of all, the hangar, the hangar scene in Avengers 1, that was great. That was great because then it's like even the mighty Hulk Cannot lift the hammer. I mean, moments like that are great. When they they defeat one of the Chitauri, you know, worm creature thingies, whatever, and then they're standing, and you know, Thor's feeling good, like, oh, we defeated our our enemy, and Hulk just punches him, just punches him, like knocks him out of the frame, and it's it it works. It's perfect. Yes, that is exactly what these two characters need because they are so powerful that it only makes sense that we pair them because together they work as an ensemble with the rest of the team they work they're great but individually individually the thor movies and the hulk movies have been the worst they are the weakest because it just doesn't work it just doesn't work. They don't know what to do with them individually because they themselves are so all-powerful. So I'm excited. I want to see what happens when you put those two in the room together, in, in, in the ring, you know? On that note, let's go to a quick groove, folks. Folks, this is the Grindhouse, as always, Saturday, top of the year, top of a better year, hopefully. Um, and we get back. I want to talk about uh, two things, actually. One, this comic book company called about comics briefly i actually already purchased this book um part of history that this comic book company has actually kind of um explored it's a uh, long time book from back in the 1940s called the negro motorist green book there's, a, there's actually a negro traveler's green book 
and there's a Negro Motorist Green Book. I'll, I'll talk more about that. And also, I want to talk about uh, the Netflix series Tra- Travelers. Travelers and this Motorist Green Book are interesting stuff. Folks, we'll be right back. This is This Simple Pleasure by Billy Black. We'll be right back. Let's groove. by Billy Black. This is the Grindhouse, folks. Um, quickly, you know, I want to give out a shout-out to Greg Pack. Greg Pack put out a Twitter blast where he took note that uh, he said rather jokingly, but rather honestly, where else would you see a all, all um, Asian, Asian-American superhero cast but in the latest Hulk where we have... Um, Kamala Khan, it looks like they have um, uh, have Shang-Chi, and they have Silk, including, of course, uh, Amadeus Cho as the present Hulk. So uh, the cover is really cool. 
the concept is well it's beyond cool the cool it's beyond cool it is necessary and um you know listen we are we are coming <laughs> you know we we we're, we're really doing our thing as they say but uh the pulling of teeth to have this immersive communicative um superhero superhero community seems to be at odds for some reason so I really appreciate Greg kind of just throwing it out there, and I'm definitely going to pick up the book. I've been reading the book anyway. But listen, this is what Afro Nerd and, and many of these nerds of color and uh, Blurred-centric podcasts are all about. It's about immersion and inclusion. Uh, forget about that diversity word. We're here. I'm tired of needing a special designation for something that's supposed to be just normal. Anyway, um, I, I, right before the break, I had mentioned this this book, which I was really aware of. It's a book that dates back to the to the 40s, and it's called the Negro Motorist Green Book. And there's also another version called the Negro Traveler's Green Book. And it was actually uh, the brainchild of a Vic, of a Mr. Victor Green, who was a postal worker in the 1930s. And uh, this comic book company, in the present day, of course, about comics has reprinted the original Green Book. And essentially what this book is about, and you know, maybe this stuff is coming back now because they're really trying hard to make 2016, 2017, 1950. But back in the days, black folk needed, these, needed books like, like this, or books like these, there are two books, in order to travel, in order to navigate the United States, because there were there was uh, such a such a phenomenon called sundown, sundown towns, sundown towns were colloquial colloquial towns where you know if you were a person of color and you would visit certain southern communities, you know if you you were told rather uh, bluntly that you have to get out of here, uh, you know when the sun goes down. Or it could be your life. So this book was the brainchild of Mr. Green to basically tell African Americans where they should go. You know, whether it was about service stations, motels, restaurants, how to navigate in the Americas in the 1940s, 1950s. So I'm kind of, um, I'm very glad I just picked up the book. I mean, I ordered it today from, from Amazon. I would inv- advise our listenership to do the same just for a part of, of, of history and to, to realize how things were. And I say were in quotes because, you know, <laughs> from my understanding, there, there are still some places where you have to be very careful. Every once in a while, you still hear a, a man or woman of color just disappearing for weird reasons that might be because of the, the sundown thing. But the green book has been reprinted courtesy of About Comics. Um, let's move things going forward, unless our, my co-discussants have, have some words to say about this, this comic book company reprinting this, this thing. Daryl, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I'm going to pick up the books. I just want to know about this. No, about it. no. I, I believe me, but I got my own personal story, so I will leave this one alone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah, I want to talk about Travelers, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I believe it was 12 episodes, courtesy of Netflix. And I didn't discuss Assassin's Creed, which I saw on Christmas Day with the Inner Sanctum, our own Inner Sanctum. I, uh-huh. I had problems with that film. Uh-huh. I had problems with that film. Uh-huh. But... <laughs> Prince I, I of Egypt 2, baby! 
I will say that I th- I think that Travelers channels a little bit of Assassin's Creed, you know, at least the premise of traveling through through consciousness, and I thought it did a better job. Uh, I actually enjoyed um, Travelers. Uh, Ed McCormack, we know from Will and Grace, he he's the the, the lead in this movie. Pardon me, in this this uh, series on Netflix, and uh, you know it's it's science fiction. And I dig it. Uh, anyone of the my discussants, co-discussants, did anyone see Travelers? I know there's like a, a mountain of stuff to see, so I wouldn't be surprised if you did not see it. But something about it was very much uh, in line with the Netflix crack drug-like thing. So I, I was I've caught seen, up. I will I've seen the first three episodes, right? And I'll say this. It, it, I, I, I've heard people go, it, it's a better quantum leap. I'm like, Hold your horses. It steals stuff from Quantum Leap. Hold your... You know who I was arguing with? Someone who... I asked who their what their age was, and they were like 22. I went, oh, hey, right. see, see, see all of Quantum Leap before you go and make that, that assumption. But I look at it... Uh, again, it, the Quantum Leap comparisons are, are, are apt. I, I look at it as if you took Quantum Leap and made it a historical, more of a historical basis. Because, again, you're dealing with past lives. You're dealing with memories. You're dealing with, okay, are these my own individual actions? Or are these my actions from a, you know, like, like you, you're not sure of who you actually are in it. So it's, it's a story right now, a sci-fi story of self-identity for me. Back to you, Afrinerd. Claire, did you get a chance? I mean, I know you... Uh, <laughs> it's very difficult for all of us to see some of this stuff. Uh, what's that, that new, new series that's out now? Uh, this kid that goes... Uh, he, he was um, in a coma for 12 years, and then he comes back Beyond? with powers... Right, I haven't seen that yet. I mean, there's stuff that's going on. I just I have not seen. Did you happen to check out Travelers or hear any word about Travelers Netflix? Um, I heard bits and pieces. Um, but I gotta say, regardless of whether it borrows or steals from uh, from Quantum Leap, well, hell, that that'll definitely make me want to take a look because I remember loving that show. Um. So yeah, you know, I, again, like I said, I saw it on the, you know, it's on the rotation for their Netflix streaming main page. So I was, I have it in my notes, and I just thank you for reminding me to add it. My list is ridiculous. There we go. <laughs> my list is crazy. Okay, so now we've got Travelers, Humans, Game of Thrones. Dark Matter. I guess. Dark Matter. Dark Matter. The Expanse. Um, the Expanse. Uh, Man in the High Castle. Timeless. Yeah. The yep. OA. Three percent. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you guys heard anything about? This is not so much sci-fi as it is more supernatural. Have you guys heard anything about Shut Eye? Yeah. It's not on Netflix. It's on Hulu. Yeah. Yes, I've heard about Shut Eye. 
I, I, I'm waiting on that. I found. I, I just found uh, a list that I put up on my Twitter. I'll put it again. Someone did a whole list of shows that are coming 2017 on TV that are comic related. So, hey, hey, folks, get ready. Claire's list is going to be just a bit longer in the next couple of months. <laughs> Trust me on this. <laughs> just a warning, Claire. I'm warning you right now. Once you take a look at that list, you'll be like. I hate those guys. <laughs> I know. It's like, when, when, how does anybody do this? But you know what? I, for me, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon to be years behind a show. It's not uncommon for me to take a look at a show after it's already been canceled. Because that's how long it takes to catch up with all this stuff. Can I, I think we, we have to be in... in so, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask not to derail the proceedings, but I'm just I'm just sitting here waiting patiently to see if you guys are going to discuss the buggery that's going on on Sleepy Hollow and this upcoming Riverdale. Ha! Ha! Wait! 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 Okay, wait! So I I love Riverdale. Now. Riverdale. Right. She got Riverdale. I'm getting that trailer. Oh my God! I'm sorry, but that trailer I I I was so thrown off because they promoted it in terms of the, its development one way, right, with Riverdale. And you're thinking, okay, so they're flipping around, they're trying to be diverse and putting some gay characters, which is very much the Berlanti touch, you know, as he has done with all his other shows. People of color, gay characters, women, great, love it. I was remotely, like minutely curious. But then when I saw the damn trailer trying to be some CW soap opera vampire diaries ripoff. I was like, screw this. No thanks. If I'm Ed Brubaker right now, I'm suing CW for royalties because Ed Brubaker criminal, criminal series, I think it's the uh, volume five or six, did something called The Last of the Innocent where essentially he did the Archie gang as criminals. And in that trailer, I saw at least two of his plot points that got stolen, outright stolen, and Dawson Creek eyes. <laughs> I will say that right up front. As far as Sleepy Hollow goes, hey, um, hey Q, you, saw, you seem to remember a blurred anger uh, dude <laughs> on this very show to warn people? About what they what they were going to go into, I mean ninety percent of my rant was correct. Uh, apologies, Miss Greenwood. I thought they got rid of you too, but you're there. So to hear people now upset about who are these people? What what happened to the show? I do. I laugh. Well, they have they have people wait, wait, of color on the wait, show, but one of them um, they, they introduced these two. Do millennials have to be in everything? Yes. I mean, it's CW. It's the CWization. They CW'd it. I and yo, I don't want to hate on Tom Meissen. What he said had merit. I mean, the um, Alpha Nerd played the interview. But the problem is, when you do such a radical turnover on a show like this, and not even introduce these characters as bit parts during this the previous season. You're going to get a lot of the fan base that stick around going, now that Central Parts of this, I don't know these people. 
right? It would be one thing if the the FBI agent from last season, the FBI agent cop, the, whatever, the yeah, Latina, the, the, the Hispanic woman. Exactly. If they had yeah. to stick around, if they, because that was a touchstone. That wouldn't, that wouldn't ease people's anger. But at least you could travel with her through this, and then introduce the new parts coming in. But it's a jarring shock to the system. And again, they underestimated Black Twitter a.k.a. the black female fan, and how attached they got to Nicole. I'm sorry, Fox, but your major fan base was black females because they've never seen themselves in that role. So you didn't expect a 40% drop in your ratings? Really? I warned you. Okay, anyway. I mean, that should just be obvious. Wouldn't that be obvious? I mean, imagine, and listen, I don't, I don't like this show at all when I'm talking about I'm talking about um scandal. It is not my show because I can't stand that really over the top soap opera nonsense, okay? I just can't I can't hang with that. But the whole point the whole point is is that as much as they want to convince you that this is such a top-rated show and everybody and everybody loves it and this and that and the other, but imagine, imagine if they fired Kerry Washington. Oh, that's not going to happen. Imagine if they got rid of Kerry <laughs> Washington. Yeah. So, honestly, when people talk about this whole thing with Sleepy Hollow, and listen, this is ridiculous to me. I mean, on, why is the show still on? Why is the show even on the air? Like I don't, I, I don't get it. There's no transition. Like you literally just uprooted, you know, the whole, like you said, the foundation, the fan base. But, I mean, but I, I gotta, who I gotta, would I gotta, you think? Who would you think watched this show? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say this quickly. I gotta say this quickly. I want you to, to, to also chime in. You know what the problem is, and this is what we have to emphasize for a new year. We have to have a new, new way of looking at these things. We're always talking about infrastructural stuff. That's very important, but the, the constant kind of crying and whining about how some of these folks in the corporate structure operate, that has to, that has to stop. And someone like um, uh, uh, Ms. Bahari, uh, if she was going to make this move the way that she did, because I think behind the scenes it was issues of her not really being as prominent of a character and maybe issues of money, that, you know, uh, you, you need to start tapping in. If you're an actor you got to stop thinking of, this, of yourself as like just this one person in person in a role. Now you have to think of yourself as a business person and maybe kind of reaching out and creating a structure around you, uh, a hardcore fan base where people you have to. It's almost tangible where they can't easily get rid of you because what, what, what's happening is the old the old studio way of doing things is if you have a cantankerous, difficult actor or actress, or let's say actor now since that's you know that's the gender thing actor that we could just replace you and as time goes on smart actors develop ways of that being very difficult to do and unfortunately when it comes down to uh characters of color and and this whole nerd space of color we haven't developed we haven't really embraced it the way we need to where these sisters should have been able to kind of create a wall around this woman a protective wall to say hey you get rid of our sister, you're going to have a problem. That doesn't happen. Now, so, now with, with Scandal, I think 
there's a little bit a little bit of that going around. Plus, it doesn't help that your boss is in charge. With Jesse Williams talk that ish on BET last year, and it the, the folks, them folks, I'm speaking in code, but you know what I'm talking about. Them folks were ready to get rid of his black behind. Uh, Shonda Rhimes said, "No, we're not going to have that. I got your back." But in the case of Ms. Bahari, she didn't have that, and that's what's going to happen. If you if you're going to try to get away from from the plantation, you better have Nat Turner in the background ready to crack that whip. That I didn't feel happen. sorry. Yeah, I feel sorry for Rosewood because Rosewood for two years has built up a Don't fan base. Him. Yeah, they've built up their own fan base and stuff like that. And Fox, to lessen the blow, has paired it with Sleepy Hollow. And a lot of the Sleepy Hollow fans, the old Sleepy Hollow fans, I know love watching Rosewood. And when you have one show that's toxic, it's the the saga of the American consumer, they will avoid a whole channel. I don't want to be anywhere near this. Click. I got something else better to do on Friday nights. And unfortunately now, they're going to be an innocent bystander. Uh, Sorry, Mr. Chestnut. Sorry, Ms. Ortiz. Unfortunately, when when the black women tune out, they'll find something better to do. Hopefully they DVR your show because you're going to be just in the line of fire here. But can can I go back to... Well, hold on. We even found that the Rosewood is part of the Bones mythology. Also, they made that connect a few a few weeks ago, like the, before the the mid season break. Yeah, they with uh, the female Sweets' uh, wife. Exactly. Q. I was. Gonna, I want to go back to Riverdale real quick. I'm not the hugest, biggest Archie fan, but I respect that institution. The first one of the first comic books as a kid I ever read was the Archie's Comics Christmas Digest. I still have it. It's it's priceless to me, and I you know I I read Archie as a kid, so when I so moving forward when I read this 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 byline that there's going to be a hot young Miss Grundy, and she's going to have an illicit affair with Archie, are you kidding me? <laughs> that, are we that, not seeing in the are we not seeing something in the headlines that's that's really salacious about the, all these teachers uh, sexing these kids, and that's the storyline they're going to pursue? Dawson's Creek, dude. Well, you know, I told you, Dawson's well, you know, Creek. So, you know, so nothing, something else about um, Riverdale or the Archie thing is that, you know, Archie's been around since, what, 1940? And, it, and you know, Archie is like, in its inception, kind of pro- prototypical white suburban America. But, it all, but to be all fair, in all fairness to Archie Comics, I think they're out of Mamaroneck, New York, Daryl. Yeah. Um, they were like one of the first people that really embraced the notion of immersion. I, I was just a people. I mean, first companies that they were less they were less pulling of teeth when it came down to uh, who's the gay character, Kevin. Kevin the Keller, gay, the gay character. Get Kevin, and then uh, Archie having. There's been stories where Archie had had um, uh, what's her face from the, Josie the Pussycats uh, as his wife. And he had a child. Like they've done a lot of things that we're not seeing in this iteration. So how can the comic book, which you would think really would really uh, hold on to the notion of of you know uh, America, America is great again, that kind of thing, and that company is not that way. That when it came down to the to the series, they went back to this whole CW, you know, kind of. Uh, 
this just soap opera BS. It it is unconscionable, actually. I have no interest and, in Riverdale personally. Well, I, I, and I, no. and as you say, soap no. opera BS. Mark Wade is doing a great job balancing it with current sensibilities in the Archie book. Chip Zarsky is doing a great job in in with the Jughead book out right now, updating these characters. So, but then, like, this is where I share Claire's frustration. Then you get Riverdale on CW, and I'm expecting the same handle with care that the, 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 the new creators on the comics have been doing. And you see that on the CW, and you might as well have named it Dawson's Creek 2, because those aren't my characters. The only thing recognizable that I saw off of that trailer was the hat that Jughead wore looking sort of like a crown. That's it. Hey, this, Let me break. Uh, if you didn't tell me it was Archie and I didn't see Riverdale, there's nothing that marked that as Archie to me. We got about and five I, minutes I, remaining, but I think we uh, hold on one second. We have about five minutes remaining. And I think we're going to go into the podcast format for a few more moments. So, so listening audience, if we get cut off, if, when you listen to the rebroadcast, uh, to the podcast version, see more callers. Why do these callers come in when we're <laughs> about to close up? There's more callers coming in. This is this is the Afro nerd way. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue with our discourse for a little bit beyond the closing time. So don't worry, because folks, I'm in the same now. We we will we will continue and you, we'll bring you in. Uh, 703, the DMV. Welcome to the Grind House. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. 931. We'll bring you in in a few moments. 703. What's up? Hey everybody, is Ronan. Uh, Happy New Year. How you doing, Ronan? Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year to everyone. Yeah, I'm loving the conversation. I have, um, Did Sleepy Hollow start last night? Yep. Okay. I, I was watching Grimm, so. <laughs> <laughs> you see? There it goes. And um, I'm going to probably catch Emerald City after I get out of here or catch Travelers. I have seen that uh, flash up on my Netflix quite a few times. Um, but I agree, uh, Claire, I'm with you. I'm behind on a lot of stuff. I finally caught up to Stranger Things over the holidays. Um, and a couple other shows. So, yeah, it's hard. Um, it's hard out there to watch everything. <laughs> hey, don't worry, Black. We got time. We got time. We got time here. Because Lord knows we're not going to go out for long moments in Trump's America. We know <laughs> our safest place is in the house. Well, like I said, they reprinted the Green Book. <laughs> I'm telling you, some things, some things are pressing it. The Negro Motorist Green Book, Green Book, which is back from the 40s, has been reprinted by a combo company, as I said before. So you may need that book post-Trump, uh, January 2020. Uh, I'm sorry, January 20th. Let me bring that in book 931. Netflix. That book in Netflix. That. Welcome to the Grindhouse. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Nine three one. Uh, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up? Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. What the hell Uh-oh. was that? All right. Oh, that was a drive-by. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, try calling back and, in and, again. And, I guess. So, you know, technical yeah, difficulties. So caller, if, you're not, if you're not trying to poke fun at us, which is a distinct possibility. When there's extremely intellectual conversation going on, the Neanderthals start to they figure out how to use a phone and they end up calling you in. Calling in. Okay. Anyway, if you're not if you're not a crazy person, 
646-915-9620 again 646-915-9620 um yeah riverdale i'm i'm not i'm not going to i'm not i'm not uh entertaining that uh yeah i'm not ronan either. mentioned ronan mentioned emerald city uh right before going on air i saw maybe 30 minutes of it we do know it's the fox's reinterpretation reinterpolation of the wizard of oz it has a latina as dorothy um, it's a far, far darker uh, version of the Oz mythology. It's not Fox, it's the NBC. No, no, but Fox oh, is the company. Fox is the company doing it. It's NBC showing okay, it. You know, oh, okay. okay. It's a mix-up. So I kept on seeing Fox, and, and, and it, you're right, though. It is NBC. Well, was, was, it, was, was it shown on Fox? No, no. it's not. No, it's shown on NBC, but Fox is but one of the, the the movie houses behind it. You're okay. right. You're right. It's very common. It's very common. It's uh same thing for like a show like Modern Family. Fox is the production company, but ABC is the distributor. You're right. So, well, listen, it is fantasy. Um it's interesting. It seems like as far as the CGI elements of it for a TV program, it's you know it's a pretty hefty price tag I'm assuming because it looks it looks mint visually uh, and again I've only seen maybe 30 minutes of it and it follows suit where you know she gets caught up in a caught up in a uh, thunderstorm well not thunderstorm in a um, hurricane or what have tornado. you tornado uh, tornado pardon me I'm a tor- curious tornado. about it I mentioned this I'm I'm vaguely curious about it because I know there was that terrible James Franco movie um i'm curious only because i know that uh and i mentioned this um florence kasumba mm-hmm. she's playing one of the wicked witches and she if you recall she was a black panther's bodyguard in civil war right right she has, she has that one line up against black widow where she's like move or you will be moved so that's yeah. that's like they're her only scene but she makes a hell of an impression and so she plays one of the Wicked Witches. So I was kind of curious about it, but I don't know. I'll it, take it or leave it at that point. I, I'll say it's okay. I, I feel it's okay. But I'm going to I, I'm going to be totally truthful, folks. I'm going to be a hard mark because if you ever saw sci-fi's The Tin Man, where Dorothy goes back to Oz, I want to say. 10 years, 12 years later, it had the great Zoe Deschanel in it. It had uh, Neil McDonough in it. It had Richard Dreyfuss in it, you know. And it was essentially an Oz dystopian steampunk show. Oh, my God, that raised the bar for Oz for me. And I'm not a big Wizard of Oz fan, but that uh, that was awesome to me. So, uh, uh, yo... Hey, Emerald City's got 10 episodes to try to top that. But Oz was three, three two-hour segments, three two-hour movie, like miniseries, uh, miniseries of movie. So essentially, it was in, it was out, and I was left, wow, it was just the right time. Emerald City is 10, 10 uh, it's going to be 11 hours total. Last night was, was like an hour and a half. Essentially, and each each successive show is going to be an hour. 
you got that much time to wow me. It, it, you, I think they're doing the Netflix type thing on this one, the world building. Let's see how NBC does it because I remember with other shows like uh, you remember the, the well. N- now we got the man in the high castle, but NBC had a show like that where it, where it was a ruling family over America. And they was beginning the build, and just when it got interesting, they canceled it. I forget who the actor was in charge. He's one of these guys that's always like in mob movies, but he was the ruler, and he was dealing with his family. And once you got into it, they pulled the plug. I the Tyrant, hope... the show Tyrant. Yes. No, 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 not Tyrant. That's the FX one. But. The... Mm-hmm. But NBC had one where it, it, where they had a ruling family in charge, and essentially it was House of M for Marvel heads out there. It was House of M meets the High Castle on screen. That's essentially what it was, where the son, the daughter are in two different places, so, and there's a whole bunch of backstabbing, and he's got to try to keep the thing under control. It, it was I, I the first couple of shows I was like oh this uh why am I watching this and then like the third or fourth show I got hooked and then they cut it off <laughs> you know I hope because of the pro- production costs they give Emerald City a chance here quickly I remember um, there's that uh, one so Wizard listen- of Oz movie it was like a sequel it was like a sequel and it was like really scary. Do you know what I'm talking about? The movie that came after the original Wizard of Oz? Oh, and I'm not uh, talking about The Wiz. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it was like a sequel. It's like The Return to Oz or something like that. And I think that's was, what it's called, like, Return to Oz. Yeah. Yeah, that movie, um, t- that movie was scary as hell. <laughs> that was disturbing. So I was like, okay, so well, hope- <laughs> so hopefully uh, the show quickly, isn't going to uh, be that dark. To our listening audience, quickly, uh, we're in the podcast format, so we're no longer um, airing live, but uh, continue listening, of course. Uh, I want to kind of run through a couple of things before we ultimately close shop to, our, to my co-discussants here. You know, I was, I was just thinking, because um, I, I love, you know, nerd culture. As I call myself an Afro-nerd, so I obviously must have some kind of affinity for this stuff. And I was, and I was thinking about how, as time goes on, some of these fictional addresses, have become reality because people are obsessed with this stuff. So we know 221B Baker Street is Sherlock Holmes' address. And I, I suspect some folks believe that Sherlock Holmes was a, was a real historical figure, although he was fictional. But we're going to make him real in some way because that's the way the human mind works. So 221 Baker Street, 221B Baker Street is a real address. It was made so in London, and it is, it is the Sherlock Holmes Museum. So I'm, I'm thinking, as I'm always thinking about a whole bunch of stuff, I'm thinking about a lot of these fictional addresses that we know of that we just take for granted. How long will it be that someone capitalizes on this stuff? Now, I know it's pulling teeth at, at the top of the show when we were talking about Usain Bolt being brought into the flash mythology. You would think that would be a marketer's dream. Oh, yeah. But we already spoke about, we already spoke about that. But uh, I was, out of curiosity, I'm pretty sure Daryl probably already knew this. I was thinking, well, what is the address for Wayne Manor? And there is an address. Uh, 
1007 Mountain Drive, Gotham, Gotham City. And lo and behold, I think there is or there's a, a real estate listing. I think it's a fictional real estate listing. But you almost can't tell because it's very detailed of a $33 million mansion that looks a whole lot like Wayne Manor. So I guess what I'm asking is when will we start to see some of these fictionalized um, addresses, let's say uh, the Sanctum Santorum, uh, or, I mean, especially Marvel stuff. Marvel, Marvel really uses, I think, didn't, didn't uh, Stan Lee admit recently that uh, Avengers Mansion, he used the mansion that's in Central Park, that is, there is a Central Park mansion, that he used yeah. that as, as uh, Tony Stark's mansion? So, yeah. Are there places, I mean, there are some places that are, like, that, that they created an homage of fictionalized addresses. Um, I think there's a full, fully, a full Simpsons, uh, what is Simpsons? Um, Springfield. There's, a, there's a, like, a miniature Springfield with a quickie mart and all that kind of stuff. I think somewhere around all right. in L.A. Sometimes. 742 Evergreen Terrace. You see what I mean? The, the fact that you know that. <laughs> That's why you're on this show. show has been but, on for but, 27 years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was keeping quiet on that one. I was letting somebody else answer it. But just to let you know, there is a Westchester Institute. People have gone up there. It's not an institute. It's a sanitarium. I just to let people know before they go up there, like, I want to go and oh, see so where the X-Men live. You know, the loony bin. <laughs> those people might say they're the X-Men. They are just crazy. <laughs> anyway. Why would, anyone, why would anyone want one of these addresses, though? That would be like me saying I want 777-9311 as my phone number. Well, <laughs> hey, hey, don't laugh. I told I told people this uh, this story. I was once at a bar with a friend, and and he went he went like this. He was talking to this beautiful girl, and he turned around and he went, "Oh my God, I got it! I got it! I got her number!" I was like, "Okay, what's the number?" And oh, folks, boy. if you know eighties eighties music, I think you could guess what the number was that he got. And I started laughing because this kid never knew the song. <laughs> so just to let you know, everything that that's on screen, not exactly what you want in real life. Exactly. <laughs> but, I, but I guess I guess my main my main question really is, uh, you would figure there would be some. Well, how long will it take before we start to see someone actually creating a Wayne Manor? I mean, it's for, just for the S and giggles and for an amusement park situation. Like, when you think that would be the next step? <laughs> okay, but, I'm, but listen, I'm saying for real. Like, you know, you would expect. Listen, there's enough. These people are generating billions. I keep on calling people. These companies are generating billions of dollars, and to kind of make things more tangible, you would expect there to be. Some a, a Wayne Manor, even if it's on a, in an amusement park situation, isn't that an ine- inevitability, or, or can you foresee that? I think it's, I think at some point, I think you would have to see that, wouldn't you? Huh. And wouldn't the well, audience kind of demand that? I mean, only private citizens, uh, deeper. I mean, I, I know private citizens who have done like they've made like portions of like the Enterprise in their basement, 
Um, I've talked to people who say they've seen that kind of stuff, but I think more private citizens be doing that than corporations. I can't. That's, that's why I've, I've heard about it more happening. Like somebody having the car in the sixties. That's more, you know. Well, look. I can think about there's a there's a there's a Texas couple. It's on YouTube. I, I remember this. They recreated the um, Munsters Mansion, and it looks exa- it looks exactly even the, the the stairwell that cousin it pops out of. They have all of that. It's an exact duplicate of. And what is it? What is that address? I keep on forgetting. Is the address for that too? What is that address? Thirteen 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 Mockingbird Lane. Is that it? Thank there you. we go. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. So, so what? Consider this Twitterverse. Go like Twitterverse, Facebookians, uh, blog talkers. I'm putting an open challenge to Microsoft and Apple. You know what? If you decide to make that hollow deck or that danger room, uh, us here at Afro Nerd Radio, Q, Black Ronin, Bison, wherever he's at. You know, John. We kind of want to be on the staff for consultation. <laughs> Let's say it right now. I know Q, Q, you in the holodeck, that'd be great times. Well, well, that'd be trouble well, with the marriage. Well, that would be. Well, listen, Las Vegas has that, don't they? Or did they, did they uh, get rid of that? Las Vegas had a Star Trek, like a Star Trek museum or where all that stuff was it was there. Well, they still have that. that but I'm just saying, a yeah, functioning well, holodeck? A functioning well, danger room? Okay. Could All you right, imagine the trouble Captain Kirk would get into with a functioning danger room? Hey, Daryl, I want you to check out this room for a second. Hey, don't mind me up here. I'm going to press a button. That, uh, Cap, that looks like a sentinel. Cap? Hey, Cap. If, they, if, if they have a functioning holodeck, <laughs> I want to get some electronic engrams of Halle Berry right now. So there we go. That. There we go. Like that now. <laughs> there so, Vigara, I'm coming after you, too. <laughs> oh, God. Well, oh. I, I'll, go one step fur- I'll go one step further since you mentioned Halle. You shouldn't, you shouldn't elicit my reptilian senses. I'm not going to be too gross. But uh, wh- where's the real Westworld, then? That's got to come along. I want a real, I want a real Westworld. Um, uh, I mean, as you do this with your reptilian mind, let's all remember what the ending of Westworld is. Uh, <laughs> you no, know, but, oh. mine is that. But but listen, but realistically, how how we there's got to be a, someone's got to create this. There's gonna be there's going to be a Westworld some yeah. kind of way. In some some, I mean, even if they expand. Uh, I can listen, I can see this happening. There's got to, or some reference to it. It's one of these amusement parks, someone who's who needs to rejigger or put some new blood into some of these amusement parks. Wouldn't you think that they, that they would actually have a Westworld attraction? But Deber, remember the the original Jurassic Park. One of the most great, one of the most philosophical lines is uh, uh, Ian. I forget the character's name. Ian something or other. He says. While the scientists were so busy wondering if they could create this, they didn't stop to think if they should. So we've got to keep that in mind, too. Yeah, we brought up Simpsons. Remember Itchy and Scratchy Land? Well, I'm not talking about a West World where you actually kill people. I'm saying, but some kind of Western-themed thing that's like yeah, that where people can walk around and kind of get that feeling. And not, not that we're going to have androids well, that are, you know... Uh, with intelligence walking around, 
although I could foresee that in another 50 years. That's, yeah, that's yeah, thing. I wanted to hear you finish that thought there, you know, because with, with you, it's all about the AI. The problem with AI is it becomes something that humans can't control anymore. But when we do control it, let's face it, we are like, you know, parts of the body I can't mention on air. And then when those things turn on us, I don't know why they turned on us. So in this scenario, you, you're going to be the great creator. I'm going to end up being John Connor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One, one last thing before we close shop. Um, Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar, or Geller, uh, she kind of poo-pooed the notion of a mature Buffy reboot. Uh, only, although she did say, well, if Joss Whedon were to return to it, then she did it an about face. So, what are your thoughts about this talk about Buffy? Like people kind of wanting that. I think a few years ago it was it was put out there, and I think Whedon kind of, you know, he kind of shot it down. But now it's coming back up again. Do we do we need a Buffy reboot or what? I don't think we need it. But imagine oh. if you're Josh Whedon. You sit down there, okay, people want Firefly back, check. People want Buffy back, check. People want me back in the Marvel Universe, check. Huh, I got all these projects. I'll do Cabin in the Woods, too. What do you mean I don't have funding? Okay, scratch the Cabin in the Woods, too. I'll just wait on the other projects. Dollhouse? Oh, uh, no Dollhouse? Okay. No problem. <laughs> we didn't sit in like the cat that ate the canary right now. Like, hey, I can hang back for a couple of years. I'll let fervor build up, and then I'll make my return. Sarah, you know, you could, all Sarah had to say is there, there's no plans for it at this time, but I appreciate the passion that my fan base shows for the show. We had really good people. If Josh would get back into it, it would be it'd be cool to do. It's such like no, no, okay, maybe if Josh gets back, but no, no. See, another one who just Harrison Ford herself. Now, it's funny, <laughs> Charmed the, the cast the cast from Charmed did exactly what you did, and I think that there's a Charmed reboot in the mix. Oh, I think I think a nineteen. 19- a 1970s version of Charm with different witches, but the original cast, uh, they tweeted out support for that Charm. Yeah. It's funny because I've only seen a couple episodes. I've only seen a couple episodes, and it was in the early, you know, in the early part of the run when Shannon Doherty was part of the group before they got right. rid of her and put in Rose McGowan. Right, but I'm not that's like her, I don't know. That's like, her stick. I'm sorry. No, I said that's Doherty's. I can't. I can't pronounce her name. McGowan. That's her. No, was that Doherty or Doherty? How do you spell that? You says how Doherty. do you pronounce her name? Doherty. Doherty. Doherty? Yeah. Doherty. Yeah. yeah. She. Yeah. She. Um. She has. She has a cantankerous attitude. Like for every project, she. Ha- she gets. She was. She hits the lotto with everything. If you ever looked at her career. She's had what two, at least two or three long-running series that she's been a part of, but then she she has a hissy fit and then leaves. Yeah, that's like her. Yes, shit. She, she's the new Suzanne Summers. Nine hundred two one zero started. <laughs> no, not, well, yeah. exactly because you know Aaron Aaron Spelling, Aaron Spelling loved her and hired her for nine hundred two one zero and then hired her for Charmed. Yep. But she's not the easiest person to work with. And, 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 um, 
what's her name? Alyssa Milano, who right. I'm just like, wow, goodness, is she fine as hell. But she and Alyssa <laughs> Milano apparently did not get along yeah. at all. I was a big fan of the show. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened, yeah. Um, and and what happened, yeah, pretty much, you, you said it exactly, Claire. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. They didn't get along, and then they chose to, to dump Shannon and bring in Rose McGowan, who I can't stand. And, yeah, and I stopped watching the <laughs> So we got hurt for being on Team Melissa. Is that essentially what we're saying? And was there, was there a I mean, ultimately, the listen, I don't – like, I was watching just kind of, you know, flipping through because at the time, um, what's his name, Julian McMahon? Yeah, yeah. Like, he was right. kind of we in did. and out of the show, and then he was, you know, uh, Dr. Doom in Fantastic Four. Right. Oh, Nip yeah. Tuck, Excellent he was, Nip his Tuck. career was kind of budding – blooming so he didn't really stay on but i just remember thinking like okay well i can kind of hang with this but i never really stuck with it i just kind of see it either in syndication or maybe it's you know it is on netflix so catch something here and there but it's funny because those days of those days of uh buffy and you know charmed and dollhouse and all that, I'm just like, wow, where where did all the women go? Where did all where did all these you know these interesting female based or female led series go? What happened? Good question. Um, I know with Charm, I like the, I I abandoned it pretty much after Shannon Doherty left. That's too long after she she left. Yeah, I didn't like Rose McGowan. Um, Buffy, I was a huge fan. I watched Buffy all the way to the end, but I think it went two seasons too long. <laughs> So um, I can't see any of those shows coming back um, or a mature version of them. Um, I'm sure there's a fan base out there because it's grown up cult following since those days. Um, but I can't. I would not watch any of those shows that they came back. I mean, it doesn't have to be really unique about them in order for me to really start watching watching any of them again. But and I you think, know again, what? it's all about the time frame. Because remember when they did that uh, Kickstarter, Kickstarter for Veronica Mars, another right. another female-led series with a strong cult following and that didn't go anywhere with that whole that that movie so i just i don't know i mean i i think people need to ease up on the nostalgia because the whole point of nostalgia is that it takes us back in time mm-hmm. trying to reboot these properties 10 20 years later you're going to end up with another independence day resurgence yeah. yep. and, and that's not totally the crap on the concept because I know Dark Horse uh, continued the seasons of Buffy and Print, and they were pretty good. Same with Angel and Faith. Those were some pretty good stories that they did in print. The problem is, and and uh, Claire just brought it up, Afrinerd brings it up all the time, if you consistently go back and redo back and re- readjust back, we don't move forward. Well, you know something else, though, that when they do explore this stuff, uh, I think X-Files was more successful because they were older, <laughs> you know, and they treated them like they didn't try to bring in some new, young ingenue. That's, what, that's the, the Hollywood machine at work, is that when they start to reboot this thing, they have, okay, they have the older folks in the background only as a, uh, as a diving board for the younger folk. We saw that with Blade Three, which, which was horrible. Um, but in the case of X-Files... And I, I don't know if it's coming back, but I think the ratings were the ratings were very good. Um, the end. They just they treated the them as were like okay mature. 
because everyone was so excited to bring back Mulder and Scully. But to be honest, as everyone was excited, again, purely because of nostalgia, which is a very powerful thing, the the actual, what was it, six episodes? Yeah. I was like, yeah, six episodes that they did recently. I'm sorry, but I was not impressed. It was uneven. Yeah, it, it, yeah. As an X Files fan, it was uneven. The best show of the six was the Lizard Show, the offbeat show, because that felt more X Files right, right. than everything else. But that conclusion, the way they ended it on the high, uh, yeah, no, 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 no. That brought back memories of season, I believe, eight when um when Mulder officially left the show. Yeah, no. Oh yeah. No, and they no. brought in the T one thousand. That's what I call them. Everything today is going right right right. back to Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing, one last thing, and I really want our our audience to really kind of get on top of this thing. Brown Sugar, the quote-unquote black Netflix, I actually joined this thing. And I must confess that I'm kind of excited about it because it really puts most of those black black exploitation films together in one sitting. So uh, one setting, pardon me. So if you want to look at, you know, any of this stuff, I mean, <laughs> everything, everything you could think of, black mama, white mama, which is, I mean, for the reptilian dude. Here we go. Pam Greer. Pa- Pam Greer in a, uh, it, it, it's, it's a better, for me, my purposes, a better is the orange, uh, orange is the new black. Um, <laughs> but it's 1970 style with Pam Greer. But any of that stuff for the 1970s. They have they have all of that in a Netflix format, and I think it's three bucks a month or something to that effect, three ninety nine a month. But I, I think it's a good way to also, um, you know, if they expand expand that marketing beyond just black exploitation cinema. But I'm surprised oh, unless they, there's a merger with them and Netflix because it it works like Netflix, but it's just black cinema from 1970s all in one in one streaming service. So. I think folks should be on top of that. It's like a, you know, it's it's a no-brainer. Um, anyway, folks, this is it. I think we covered everything. Uh, next week we'll do it again Wednesday, then this Saturday, folks. Always a pleasure for for uh, Claire and the Uncanny, Q Storm, Black Ronan, all you guys to stop by. Uh, let's go out, go on out with Nas and Erica Badu, This Bitter Land. Next week we'll do it again. It's been real. Happy New Year. Water with my soul
cop shot us up He get a medal, then retire But it never would define me Write a letter to the president, whoever in control of the society Tell him stop riding me Stop driving us into a suicidal ideology Trying to feed my seeds Getting high in weed, study my degrees Stay fly, getting paper With some dead white people faces in a circle of spaces around the green I'm a lean Taking perks, it's a bit of earth, it's a nigga cursed in my blessed, see what I mean? It's a test, life is a test, life is like a hood, hard, trying not to fall between the cracks. And the cracks are so dark, and the dark seems more appealing than the light in the land where you gotta fight, catch a body in the night. We need a plan to survive, to survive the land, survive the storm when it comes through. Either you're busy living or busy dying. Look what it's come to. Look what it's come to. So what you gonna do? Thank you. 